Can you hear me the in there? You get, the more you need makeup. I am shiny. Hmm. Shiny. <laughs> All right, I've pushed the button. We're going live. Oh, I need me. Uh, we did. Oh, geez. You know what? It actually, it's proof. Oh, no. That's what I didn't want to do. <laughs> thought to myself, boy, it would probably be good if we don't do the bubbles on the, on the, uh, the priceless uh, artifacts this evening. <sighs> this is it. We're here. All right, I'm sweaty and shiny. Welcome to the Late Night Playset. My name is Jay Ryan. Please like and subscribe this channel. We are finally asking people to do that. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. We seem to have done just fine without a huge viewership. But for whatever reason, that's what you're supposed to do. So please like, subscribe, hit the bell, do all the stuff. Uh, Mrs. Ryan's here with me. She looks like that. We have got a fantastic guest this evening by the name of James Commissar. He is, I, I've been calling him the custodian of TV history. <laughs> and it's really not that far off. Um, I mean, he sort of created the job, but you are going to hear all about his collection, what it's, what he's all about, what the collection's all about, and potentially how you can get involved and help as well. Um, all that, and we've got uh, the Sim Place. We're going to talk about the Sim Place, a CXC, and there's some TBT videos as well. Lots, 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 lots going on this evening. More to come with the late night playset. Right. Oh, hang on, before we go, it's, uh, Compto's here, Jimmy57 is here, uh, this is my favorite, this is like, um, what was the show with the kids, Romper Room? I see Jimmy, and I see Frankie, and I see Cologne, Lewis, um, we are happy everyone's here, as well, in Canada, we have producer Mike on the line, what is happening, producer Mike? Peace and love, everybody. He's a massive, uh, Letterman and Late Night fan, are you muted there, Mike? I shouldn't be. Or do be. I have you muted? I think you have my muted. No, maybe I just have you turned down, that's probably all it is. Try it again. Is my volume okay? I tried to fix You're, my sound issues on my end. I think you may have. It's much, much better. Thank you, buddy. Uh, late night playset. Here we go. Good morning. 
I mean, it wasn't the cleanest top of show of all time, but we did it. We did it. We got here. I've blotted. I feel a little bit better. Seated. I'm not sweating so much anymore. Welcome back to the Late Night Playset, everybody. My name is Jay Ryan. I don't know why our red lights aren't here, Mrs. Ryan. What'd you touch? What'd you touch over here? Not I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, welcome back. It's Tuesday, March 31st, 2022. It's Tradecraft, oh, excuse me, Thursday, Thursday. It's Tradecraft Thursday, uh, and we've got a fantastic guest by the name of James Commissar. I'll get the marbles Woo! out of my mouth at some point, at some point. Um, uh, I, <laughs> Mrs. Ryan will take over right now as I put the red lights on the cameras. Okay. Take it away! Good. My favorite part that I'm so bad at. You got a lot of good news coming up, lady. There is a lot of good news. The foundation is killer. Tell everybody about it. It's called the Autoimmunity Foundation. Thank you for coming up with the coolest name I could imagine. (laughs) We were lucky it was available. I thought the delay was because it wasn't available, but it seems to just be that there's a delay in in this type of paperwork. But I'm very excited that you got Autoimmunity Foundation, which is fantastic. Because you're going to be engaging autoimmunity Throughout and with the auto community. You're putting community in autoimmunity. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. Okay. <laughs> or something. Whatever. But MS is an autoimmunity disease, and you don't want to narrow it to just folks who suffer from MS. It's uh, You're opening it up to everything, right? It's a little of everything. Like, this MS thing seems to be. So might as well. But it's reintroducing me to my old life people. So it's super cool. Are you reaching out to them? Or are they reaching out to you or both? More of them to me. It's nice to be a magnet. Yeah. You were used to that your old life. You were the magnet. Very strong magnet. <laughs> Working with Chris Rock and, and Serena Williams. The other night, I remind you all, the other night would have been her problem to deal with. <laughs> yeah. The beginning both of sides. It. The beginning of one. Would have gone on forever. <laughs> What people don't take into account is that they'll be asked about this for a decade. Yeah, and and the invisible part that people couldn't possibly take into account is how much behind the scenes goes on, and how how much that stuff overwhelms and takes over your you, the that role, that publicist person's role. Uh, Tracy Morgan used to say some questionable things. We used to get calls in the middle of the night because he was someplace else on the globe saying something questionable. And all of a sudden, well, we're up because guess who's got to deal with it? Real time. Yeah. I mean, there were a, there were a ton, a ton, a ton of people who you had to deal with. I just think of Tracy Morgan as being very public. and people. Know that him. was a big one. It got picked up and distributed everywhere. It went viral before that was the thing. And I was even taken off guard. I had no idea. Well. I mean, I had an idea, but it had been in my lexicon of colloquialisms for years, so it wasn't as big a deal to me. But when he said it where he said it, everyone took offense. (laughs) It was crazy. Let's see. That would have been probably in the neighborhood of almost 10 years ago. No, like eight, eight years ago. You could probably look it up. You can probably look it up. Don't, though. Don't, though. Didn't you have to go, like, do a parade float and an apology thing on a parade float or something? Wasn't there something to that? It was at the same time as Hodgem, too. So that's <laughs> when the parade float came in. But so the, the apology tour was also was on different. the same thing. Oh, same time as the uh, parade same float. Same time. Okay. But it was a different okay. thing altogether. I'm confusing them. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. So there's a couple things we need to talk about. Uh, one, GVBC... 
this uh, this little thing that we accidentally created up in the mountains uh, is getting quite a bit of press lately. We were in Auto Week this week, so thanks to Mark Vaughn for writing a very nice write-up in Auto Week. And then we were in uh, – uh, there have been a few. There was There was – Whatever, I sent you a bunch. Thanks to everybody who's been coming up and saying nice things. Um, it seems to be overwhelmingly positive, which is good. You, you would want that with a thing called good. <laughs> it's cool, cool venue, but the people suck. <laughs> that would not be fun. Um, so we're just really grateful for that. Thanks. Um, if you want to buy a T-shirt, this T-shirt seems to be pretty popular. Not just because I wear it all the time. Um, but go to DualShift, DualShift.com or DualShift on the Instagram, and you can get yours there in most sizes as well as other GVBC merch. Um, hmm. We talked on Tuesday about the microphone anniversary, so it's kind of cool that our guest is here uh, this week because this is the anniversary of that week where that whole story I told you took place. Um, so you know what? For the sake of TBT, Mrs., and then we'll talk about it once our guest is in here, but let's just watch this uh, very familiar TBT from 26 years ago this week. Roll it out. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get her started, by oh, God, you no just, there's no stopping her. I've noticed two problems with the new set. What? Well, one, uh, this microphone is higher than it needs to be. Now, what's that? About? Well, it's because the other microphone, the one that's been on the desk for two and a half years here and uh, 13 and a half years at NBC, last night that was stolen. Uh, you're kidding. Now, that was stolen. So, so we had to replace it with this other uh, new, and it occurs to me that we stole that microphone from NBC. So, you know, and the other thing is there's no window here now, so when I do this, what do we get? See? We, we used to have some kind of satisfying sound effect that, I don't know. Some things to work out. We'll have some meetings and we'll take care of those. Yeah, so, you know, all right. Uh, you know, it's not so raw or anything anymore, but uh, sorry, Dave. Uh, we've done so much work to try to either remedy, rectify, improve this situation. Um, luckily, the Dave camp, including Dave, doesn't seem to give a crap about the microphone. But they are kind of interested in completing this story. So there should be more to come on this soon, but nothing today. But hell of an anniversary. It's not my proudest good. moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. I'll remind everyone that my father had just died, and I got let into the Ed Sullivan Theater overnight. And sure enough, I checked out that whole new set and uh, walked away with this sucker right here. <laughs> and then I went back to Dave's house and gave him the microphone that I had made from my high school show. And then he used that on the show for the rest of uh, for the rest of the time. It was it's a hilarious story. If you're not me. <laughs> um, all right, so that's out of the way. That's out of the way. The Oscars, we sort of touched on that. Nothing really new there other than, mm, man, I'm I'm subscribed. I want to see what they do. I'm curious. It affects so much, like the category that was Serena's category that will won for, like that right. movie. Yeah. And we worked in that in different incarnations of that documentary for years, so. Because you were developing it way back then. Yeah, so this is huge. It is huge. And Chris knows Amy, who was one of the hosts. Like, this goes so broad. Well, yeah, it's funny, because it's, it's definitely bigger than the industry. It seems, to, because it's starting a conversation that's bigger than the industry. Yeah. And, I don't know. Sometimes there's, maybe we're back to the old days where the industry actually does inspire good, you know, trying to uh, uh, shape things and maybe, a, I don't know, I don't know. It sucks because like the rest of the world, I'm a fan of Will Smith. Um, or I, I was, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know how I feel about shit these days, but like 
that was a very surprising moment for me as a guy who's supposed to be enlightened and, and have his shit together. Yeah. Shows me, even if you're that guy who for 30 years has had his shit together perfectly, everybody has that moment. We all do. So that means that we're all capable of it, which means we all got to keep ourselves in check. It's yeah. tough, mm-hmm. but we all got to do it. So that's my two, that's my two cents. Sorry about the <laughs> Jay's sermon for the night. <laughs> Done. Okay. Uh, I had a really exciting thing uh, happen to me, for me, whatever, yesterday. I got invited to go down to CXC uh, Motion Simulators. They are a company uh, right across the street from SpaceX, actually, down in Hawthorne. But they make racing driving simulators. I don't mean driving sims for your home. I mean they started about 85 grand. I raced in one that was about 100 grand, and then I raced in one that cost about a million bucks. Um, I've got a couple of videos for you. We don't have to watch all of them, but I want to give you an idea of what exactly was going on over there because it's pretty impressive. Um, and Reggie was supposed to come with it. By the way, this thanks to uh, Zach Clapman and Smoking Tire for setting it up. Had a whole group of us over there. Reggie was supposed to go. He ended up not being able to. So I think we are going to go back as a little twofer. And uh, <laughs> these guys all knew what they were doing. I've never experienced this, this type of thing, let alone one at this caliber. So they were kind of running circles around me. Uh, but here's what it looks like. Roll it out. Daisy, uh, a little bit more than the the Xbox setup that we have here. A little bit. Pretty wild. So that seat moves. The the seat belts have tensioners on them. So like when you hit the brakes, the seat belt tightens to make it feel as though you're going forward. Really, really bizarre stuff. How they Dumb f with your question. senses. Sure. Does it feel like actually driving though? I mean, that's tough. This one, uh, no. But but they simulate it really well. Now, what feels like actual driving? And this blew me away. <laughs> the answer to, to your same question on this one is a wholehearted yes. Yes, this feels like driving. Roll it out. <laughs> so that's what I see in the screen there as I'm racing this truck. Oh, wow. Isn't that bizarre? Bizarre. So that goes on and on. We don't need to watch the whole thing. But uh, what I was trying to explain to the missus there uh, uh, and to James, that is an actual real trophy truck that has raced. That is a a, uh, race truck with provenance that has been bought by this company, (laughs) disassembled, mounted onto this rig, customized to fit onto this rig. And they will eventually put the panels back on and put the sponsorship back on and everything. And then you have a real trophy truck that you that can then race in. Now, actual race teams are buying these, of course, for their guys because it's cheaper than both track time and wrecking the car each time you screw up, all that stuff. This particular one that we were just racing in is going on a cruise ship. <laughs> I'll go four grand. <laughs> I'll go for four grand on that one. Delivered, Glendale, California. 
It's uh, it's a million bucks. The cruise ship that it's going on already has a cart track on it, a go kart track, a real go kart track. Oh uh, so it's obviously a big cruise ship, but. Um, the technology was amazing, and 100%, yes, it felt like I was driving. Essentially, because you saw the physics, I was really driving. I get that one. That's like a real vehicle. Unbelievable. I mean, really, really unbelievable. It blew my mind, and I can't wait, I can't wait to do that one again. And also, I should, because, I, because I was really enjoying it, I did that one a little bit longer, and, and I was the only one for the day who was – everyone tried to wreck to kind of see what the things would do. I got that so – I did barrel rolls and eventually ended up on my uh, uh, roof. <laughs> I was doing this. They were all laughing at me because it was like a real wreck, you know. <laughs> oh gosh, we are all just Jay? children inside. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. The one thing I noticed in that footage was I was watching your uh, right foot the whole time, and it looked like you had it pinned the entire time. It didn't look like your right foot moved at all from the well, throttle. It was. Uh, you might be right about that. It was a trophy truck, um, so you know you, you kind of you don't do much braking other than to pitch it, so because you're driving in the dirt. Um, so I mean, there's probably some modulation in the corners, but otherwise, yeah, you're kind of just get get it going. Res- respect, buddy. Nice job. <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. How are you today, by the way? How are things in Canada? Tremendous. Things are going very well up here. Uh, the blowback from Will Smith uh, has died down already up here, so we're feeling pretty good. Sky <laughs> oh, good. The Canadians are finally resting, getting some peace. Meanwhile, oh my the God, U.S. Was, uh, is just black clouds for two days all over social media up here. Uh, well, I guess that's the world. Um, all right, I think that's everything we needed to talk about. We do the commercials. We get the guest in here. Everybody good with that? <laughs> put, some, put a camera on us instead of whatever that was. Uh, let's see. This episode has been brought to you in part by Series 1 Films. Series 1 Films helps automotive brands create engaging cinematic content for social media and advertising to grow and hold your ideal customer's attention. Check them out at series1films.com. That's series one with a number one, right, missus? That's our buddy Taylor Hendricks. Also, if you want to see him in person and chat about some of this stuff, he will likely be up at Breakfast Club tomorrow up at Newcombs. So come on up. Um, Although if you're already in the automotive industry, you'll probably be be there. Uh, They say, they say, all which separates men and boys is the coverage for their toys. What types of toys, Mrs. Ryan? Collection. That's right. <laughs> Licensed in most states, St. Clair Insurance tops top providers, so you get the best coverage for your toys. We uh, we're Haggerty fans, but he uh, has many many options to choose from. Uh, simply go to get your computer out. You're going to dial up the internet. You're going to go to the www. Once you've done that, <laughs> you simply go to coverageforyourtoys.com. 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 And tell Jeff Sinclair with the we said hello and that you saw it here. Uh, that's it. Better call Paul. Shop smart over at Auto Kennel. And we love our friends at TLG. Come on home. Now, I think it's time to take a quick break, move our cameras around, get our guest in here, and we will explain to everyone else why the set looks a little <laughs> why this set's a little different. Somebody's treating it with the respect it deserves, I guess. Uh, <laughs> more to come right after this. Oh, so, what was it? Brief words from Oh, so delicious hot sauce. The hot sauce, Mrs. Ryan. Made by bears. Made by bears. Oh, so delicious. It's a hot sauce made by bears. Garlic and serrano mixed with love and care. You can put it on your eggs, pour it on your rice. It's great on a leg. It's better on a slice. It's oh, so delicious. It's a hot sauce made by bears. 
oh-so-delicious hot sauce. Great on everything except oatmeal. Get your bottle today at ohsodelicious.org. One dollar from every bottle sold goes to the National Military Family Association. I'm going to move the whole thing out of your way. I'm Johnny Lieberman, and you're watching LMP. What does LMP stand for? Late Night Place. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've been on there. Yeah, good show. <laughs> you should like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. And where's, where's this main camera? What are you driving today? 63 356B. Look at five at the same time. Hey, what are you driving today? Here we go. Welcome back. It is my great pleasure to sit here and introduce to you who I'm calling the custodian of television history, Mr. James Commissar. Hey, man. It's a great pleasure to know you these days, but also that you're here again so swiftly. Thanks. Happy to be here and see you and even more happy to see Nicole. Obviously. Uh, I'm going to go 1,200 on those famous green shoes that you've worn over and over on the show. I could do 800 cash or 1,200 bank wire. You tell me. (laughs) <laughs> so we've known each other for a while now and i of course have marveled as you as a fan i've met thousands of fans but man your story <laughs> whew, that is a unique fan love story that you have there jay i'm not proud of it you know that when i was telling you the first time i was like this guy i i could, I could see your face changing as i was telling you the story i go he doesn't know what to make of me he doesn't know what to make of me well, i'm opening with this <laughs> we don't normally uh suggest that people go into the studios break in and steal things but good on you <laughs> i will say i was a kid and i was uh, i was a little sensitive at the time but yeah. it, there is no excuse it's i'm gonna go on record and say there is no excuse right. for the kids at home there um how's that tracking anklet is it feeling uncomfortable <laughs> that's why we never leave the house <laughs> uh the thing is as crazy as my story is as we got to know you, some of your stories were, I mean, not as uh, mischievous, perhaps, as mine, but every bit is unbelievable. Um, I don't know how much we can say about your collection, so I want you to take it away, but I know we can talk about Johnny Carson and David Letterman specifically today. You have the whole Carson set, and the story for how you got that blows my mind, and I think will blow any fan of comedy's mind. So if you don't mind starting there, we sure, can... Sure, <laughs> sure. So when... You know, for for those of us who were around when they announced a year before rap that Johnny Carson was retiring, I mean, I felt like some people felt when they heard Elvis had died. It was like crushing. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I better get on getting that Karnak turban. And for those of you who don't know, it's like a big uh, Swami turban that he wore. And then he had a little comedy bit, recurring bit, where he would hold an envelope up. Yay! Who's that guy? <laughs> Good-looking guy in a tux. Jesus, he needs a hairpiece. Oh my goodness! 
So he would do a bit where he would hold an envelope up to his head, and then he would rip open the envelope, and he would read the question. But he first he would give the answer, right? It was backwards. It was like Jeopardy, yeah. Yeah, so... He would divine the answer, and then in the envelope was the question, right? That is correct. So... If you were a fan of Johnny Carson, I mean, it's like if you were a fan of Indiana Jones, you got to get the hat and you got to get the whip, right? Done. If you're a fan of Mr. Carson, as I was, I grew up wanting to be a comedy writer for Johnny Carson. That was my goal. I was a fat kid who grew up watching, came home, no Little League, Doritos, Orange Crush, and I sat there, right? <laughs> and I watched TV. So these, Partridge or Captain Crook, these were like almost, I hate to say it, my after school friends. And so my mom would let me watch Johnny Carson once in a while, and I vowed I'm gonna, going to write for Johnny Carson. That is going to be my vocation. That's going to be my mission. And uh, I actually did not end up writing for him, but I wrote for a lot of stand-up comics and other people. But when I heard— You definitely became a comedy writer. I did. And we should mention uh, the Chris Rock thing. I have some opinions on that. Oh, Go Boy. and dive in whenever Boy, you feel Boy, if somebody like. would have done that to Joan Rivers. Woo! <laughs> so when I heard that he was going off the air, I started writing. I started sending faxes. Do you remember the faxes that the they'd fax come team. out and they'd roll up immediately? Yeah, they were on one roll. It was one thing. Yeah. So I sent a letter, a fax, two faxes, another letter, 21 letters and faxes. And I finally hear back from this elegant lady, Helen Sanders. Now, Helen ran Mr. Carson's company and was, I mean, she was the gatekeeper. And she said, look, all we're doing for the next year is publicity. You're, you're, you're not going to get noticed. Your request is not going to be heard. Trust me, once this all dies down, I'll mention it to Johnny and we'll see if we can get it done. Now, like you, a collector never wants to hear, oh, we'll just hang back and we'll see what happens. I mean, we want to <laughs> sit tight. Yes, yeah, sit tight. You know, we'll FedEx to you, to you later. No, we want to go in and get it. So it was uncomfortable to wait, but the show goes off the air. A month goes by. Two months goes by. Helen Sanders calls me and she says, do, do, do you still want that Karnak turban? Because I mentioned it to Johnny. And I'm like, uh, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I would like that. So how, how can it get any better? Well, glad you asked that, Nicole, because I'm going to tell you. How it got better is Helen Sanders said, well, on the last day of taping, the costume designer put it in the back seat of his car, and it's at his house. So you and I will have to go to the house and pick it up. To Malibu. You know, to, to Malibu, to Johnny Carson's the, the house. Estate, the Johnny Carson estate. So, I mean, as a, as a young collector and a young historian and uh, – uh, curator, it was like beyond the beyond. I, I knew that from that moment forward, everything would change for me because now I would be a curator of Johnny Carson. So I don't know, a couple of weeks goes by. I'm told to drive to this restaurant parking lot up in Malibu. I get in Helen's car and she goes, oh, we'll just drive up, take a few minutes. We drive up this road and there's like, where are the other houses? And we finally get to a gate and it's like the whole side of the street. And there's a security guard with his hand on his holster. And, and he says to Helen, hey, hey, Helen, who's that? And she goes, oh, it's James Commissar. He, he's going to meet Johnny Carson. And he says, can you tell Mr. Commissar to put his hands on his knees? Oh. So I'm like, okay. So he calls to the house, and I'm just looking around. And then, Jesus Christ, there's a tower, like a glass tower, about 12 feet in the trees. 
And there's a, a, I think I remember seeing a sharpshooter, but I saw like three or four guys watching to see what's going to go on. And so I stood very still until they said, all right, go. You're going to the main house. And Helen looked at me and said, the main house? Are you sure? The main house? And he goes, yep, main house. And she said, I've been doing this for years. I've never had him bring a guest to his residence. He had a big house next door that was called the tennis house. And she said, this has never happened before, but good for you. We're going into the main house. So His um, friends didn't go to the house. Like, did people know that? Nobody went to the main house. So the poker games were uh, off property. And, you know, he owned a few properties on al- that same alongside Lollipop, his yeah. street. So uh, it's more than my brain. At that point, I just kind of stepped outside of my body. It was too much to take in. So somebody opens the door. All I remember, somebody was waxing his car in the driveway. He opens the door. I see like what seemed like 10,000 feet of glass windows looking out into the ocean. And then I look to the left, and Mr. Carson's coming down the stairs. <laughs> and it, it's hard for me to articulate how important he was growing up because, you know, as a fat kid, the only thing I had to protect myself was my sense, was my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And writing for Mr. Carson was, was the dream. And so he was coming down the stairs with this beautiful, it looked like a sterling silver hanger, very substantial, and he had a pair of gray slacks on it. Now, why is that important? Because Helen Sanders said, you know, we got you the, we got you the cape and the turtleneck with the brooch, and we have the uh, turban, of course, but we don't have any pants because whatever Mr. Carson was wearing that night, his suit, he would have the suit pants on. Oh, he would just wear the show pants. They would yeah. only dress the top, of course. So he was so on his game that he was coming down the stairs and wanted to give me a pair of gray slacks so the ensemble could be dressed head to toe and it was like like he created he, he finished the costume for you almost he and she probably did she probably mentioned it to him two months ago she didn't call him that morning and he was just that kind of guy really really smart and really caring and so the only thing i remember and i didn't know how much time i had i said mr carson if you don't mind me asking how did you come up with that whole karnak question answer how did you come up with that and he goes oh i have a great story do you have a minute do i have a minute for johnny carson <laughs> so i was there helen went her own way and i was there i couldn't tell you if it was 15 minutes or or two hours it was just like a dream state i don't even you know i can relate to that yeah so time it was stands just like, still it's like you at the back door with dave yeah it was like in his in his yeah exactly you, you just can't track time at that point no so I, <laughs> So, you know, as part of my chat, like you, you know, I'm a collector and you got to, you always got to hustle. You got to hustle, hustle, hustle. <laughs> so even though I'm just being handed over the Karnak turban, right? In my opinion, the greatest TV treasure in, in the history of the television medium. I'm already thinking about what's next. So I'm admiring this beautiful turban and we're talking a little bit about it. And it's heavy. You know, it's so front loaded that, you know, if you don't watch yourself, you kind of start to go forward. It's a big if you go to the photo, it's it a, used to kind of slide down his head a little bit sometimes. It too. did, but he never wanted to replace it. It was one turban that worked from the time he came here in '72 to '92, and I believe it was designed by Rhett Turner, who went on to partner with Bob Mackey and design uh, thousands of brilliant costumes. But I don't know, you know, some performers are um, superstitious, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to change the turban out, and they which they changed the brooch and add some pearls about ten years in. Other than that, but it was, it was always the same one. The same. Wow. So, 
Stop interrupting me, Nicole. Let me get to the end of the story. So I'm thinking, well, what's next? I'm never going to be in this living room again. So I, so I says to the guy, so I say, well, Mr. Carson, what are you going to do about your set? You know, the home base and your chair and the desk. Have you given that any thoughts? And, and he looks at me like I'm crazy. And he said, I have the tackiest set in Hollywood. And who would even want to see it? So I could tell you that I spent the last 20 minutes trying to convince him that I'm the guy to preserve the set. But in all honesty, I spent the next 20 minutes trying to convince him not to put it in a roll-off dumpster. And, and that was the selling I had to do. But please, don't, don't, don't throw it away. I'll come and get it. I'll take care of everything, and then it'll survive for all the fans. And he was like, God, you have anything better to do with your life? Really? You want to save it? But so... You would have thought that's the apex, right? That's the top of little Jimmy Commissar's life. You would think. You would think. But, Nicole, I get a call like a year later from Helen Sanders, and she said, uh, Mr. Carson wants to know if you want the Tonight Show set. Huh. See, it's been on exhibit in, in Florida at the AFI Exhibition Gallery, and the time is up, and he's, he wants to take it back, but he said, if you want it, you can have it. So after I changed my underpants, uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. And like a week later, I was in Florida, and the exhibit couldn't have been more horrific. I mean, the standard of exhibition was my 13-year-old daughter, Ella. Hi, Ella. Could have done it so much better. And then the rest was dumped in a Disney warehouse. And the production, um, whoever, you know, when something wraps, it's not very pretty. They want it offset within 24 hours. It goes into the trunk. They don't furniture pack it, friends. They don't put bubble wrap around it. It just goes in the truck, and it's it's a shit show. Yeah. So when I saw it uh, just piled up like garbage, the pieces that weren't on view, I, I fucking lost it. I said, this is unacceptable. You're going to have to get this together, and when I pick it up, this is how I want it. And they said... No, this is how it is, and you want it? Go get it. That's all we're going to do. So I say to them, so you, you understand I'm here for Mr. Johnny Carson. I'm going to give you five minutes to think about your answer, and if you want to <laughs> stick with that, and then I'm calling Mr. Carson in his car and telling him that you're refusing to return his materials in an appropriate fashion. Time starts now. And as it turns out, in just a few minutes, um, <laughs> They were willing to heed my request, and they just and they packed it up and crated it, and the rest is history. But do you think I had a warehouse for 14-foot, 800-pound set walls? Do you think uh, I knew what I was doing? I had to... How does that work? We got a desk and chairs, and we had to think about it. You have a, what was once a full... It took a whole soundstage. How does that happen? I guess it folds up into a small amount, but it's still uh, a tremendous amount of real estate. It's, this, you know, to get on a, on a proper... Uh, truck like a 50 plus foot truck or a or a what they call a low boy it can't be more than eight feet wide no piece can be more than eight feet wide so we figured it out we rented space at a storage uh rental facility hi mark scenic expressions the best the best <laughs> and we we made it work but wow you know like you once you uh had the microphone did you stop did you say, well, I don't need a desk or chairs, or did you keep going? Well, then, we decided to get ours was different because we, did, you know, my whole life. I'm not a collector. I'm not, I'm really not. I'm just this kind of guy who's into weird shit and then sort of magnets, you know. We decided to give this back 
and then the desk and chairs sort of came to us. We weren't, we didn't want them. I wasn't trying to get them for us. We wanted to borrow them to use at an event and give them back to the museum. You know what I mean? And then later, because we had made that contact, they then said, hey, do you want the, the okay, stuff? Okay, first of all, it's time for some tough love. You're a collector. <laughs> I hear this denial. It's like an alcoholic. Oh, I could quit anytime I want. You're full of shit. Nicole, I'm going to speak with you directly now. You understand that he's a collector. You know, he has the mic. He goes for the desk. He goes for the chairs. And that's called a collector, motherfucker. So... <laughs> So, like you, I like guess you. Next to you, I don't feel like a collector. You're as sick as the rest of us, Broham. So, I get the set and I bring it home and it needs a bit of work, right? And so I'm done, right? I'm happy. I can go on with my life and everything's perfect, right? I feel like you have to do more so that you're not so crazy. I feel crazy because it's this David Letterman thing. If we had more stuff, I would just be a collector. You know what I mean? I feel like you got a little bit of everything. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Nicole. He's a collector. Yes. You see how he's he's like a. I can I don't only start drinking at five and I still functional right. at work. That's and right. Only the on the days story. I want to. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> so I'm done, right? I got the the, the got the, the the most touchstone pieces from the history of broadcast television. Period. Done, right? Period. No. <laughs> so I call Helen Sanders and I say, you know, this Karnak turban and outfit is amazing. Um, the, I don't know if you know this, but the late night with David Letterman show had wrapped like, I don't know, six months earlier, and it was executive produced by Carson Productions. Carson Productions. So I say to Helen, you know what looked great in that case right next to the Karnak turban? Dave's Velcro suit. Do you have any Joseph clue? On, there was only one. Whoa. Do you have any clue on how to get it? And she goes, oh, I'll call LaSalle. Um, Peter LaSalle. Peter LaSalle. She goes, oh, I'm friendly. He moved from Carson to Letterman after Carson yep. retired. Right. She said, "I'll call them and we'll we'll see what's happening." A day later, yep, they're sending the car. They're sending the the Velcro suit. So right, that's where I stop. That's where I thank the universe, and I I live in gratitude from that point forward and want no other things. Am I right? <laughs> I don't believe you. No. no, it was a nice pause. It was a dramatic pause. <laughs> it was a respite. But I had to go further, so I, 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 I call up dear Helen. I don't know why she would take my calls. I mean, I don't know why. And I said, gee, I couldn't help but notice that the, you know, the, the Carson version of Letterman is now in the history books. And gosh, I wonder what happened in the sets, the beautiful buildings and the, the desk. And I wonder where all that is. You know, Mr. Carson did own the show, so maybe, you know, maybe it's somewhere that it needs to be rescued i know where it is because i was looking for it too where <laughs> it was in nbc scenic storage over at lincoln scenic where they built it you are correct you're right yeah, i went to go look for it they said a truck just came <laughs> so see i admit I'm that's what kept me from being a collector all my life <laughs> yeah. yeah so she calls over to nbc entertainment and she's and she explains everything and they said well we own the desk you know we have the desk and the stuff and it's here and he'll have to talk to us about you know, making it financially, you know, a sound decision for us. So I call him up, and, you know, they're not going to piss off Johnny Carson. <laughs> Even at that point, right? No, Even mean, though no, he's not on TV anymore. No. And so they go, you know, we thought about it, and, you know, there's three years back, three months back storage on the set over at... Lincoln Scenic. Lincoln Scenic. And I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it, she said, it's like, it's almost $2,000, <laughs> but if you'll write that check, then uh, we'll go along with it, and you can buy... The desk, the buildings, the windowsill, you know, part wow. of Paul's 
uh, oh modesty God. panel in front of the keyboard center stage. I have pictures of some of this stuff. Am I allowed to show it? Absolutely. Okay, show great. It. Fantastic. All right. Here we go. This is this is what started to blow my mind. Go back to Carson for a second and we'll look here. Oh, wow. Okay, so that is oh. after we conserved the whole set. That's Mr. Carson's set. Um, we made it available to a Warner Brothers film called Burt Wonderstone. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, because they agreed, if they did it, they agreed to donate tens of thousands of dollars to the conservation of other sets that we had. Did you work on that? No. It was Carell, Carell and Buscemi? No. Okay. They were actually, you know, when... Uh, I spent a long time talking to Carell, and, you know, he was a stand-up, and he was just like, wow, it's the real desk, and it's so thin, and um, he was very slow to sit down in the original guest chair, and mm. you could tell that it was just, for anyone who's who has practiced comedy or has uh, uh, dreamt of comedy, it's, you know, it's like going to, the, going to Israel, you know, it's everything is completely... It's the closest thing to seeing Johnny today. So and and you know mm -hmm. I went on to write for Joan Rivers and Howie Mandel and other people and I know you know Jerry yeah and I mean we're in the same place sometimes oh that's pretty <laughs> we're close <friends>. yeah <laughs> I'm in the camp with them it's transferable yeah oh, okay. that's true that's true all right yeah but. so you know that when a comic like when Jerry went on the Tonight Show if you asked him what his birthday was he'd say I have two birthdays one when I was born. And one when I My was discovered. First appearance. The yeah. first appearance on First the, Carson. First right? Carson. Yes. Yeah. First Carson appearance. So it's just as important as it possibly could get. So, right? It yeah. went easy. I just went over there and picked the stuff up, right? Because that's how it goes when you're collecting stuff. You're right? hilarious. No. Yeah. No is a correct answer. <laughs> no, not at all. So I go down there and. Uh, Back to late night now. Sorry. Now Back to late, late night. night. Sorry. Yeah. And I. You know, I call them up, tell them I'm coming down. I, I order and pay for four union labor guys to help me because it's, you know, these buildings are massive and the desk is, you know, a couple hundred pounds. And so I get there and I'm like, I'm here. I'm ready to pick up the Letterman stuff. And they don't <laughs> Best day of my life. Hi, everybody. Hi, <laughs> little Jimmy Commissar. <laughs> I have Elvira's underwear. <laughs> All grown up. <laughs> So they go, yeah, and and I said, well, we have four laborers booked. I already paid for them, and I want to get started. And they said they all called in sick. Four out of four all called in sick. So I'm like, the truck is coming from 5 p.m. at 5 p.m. from California. He's got like a two-hour window to load it, and it's got to get back to California. So there's one guy working in the office who was like me, you know, all of four foot eleven, and he's like, I'll help you. And I Aww. said, come on in. So we undo this mountain of buildings. I mean, they were just, I wouldn't say thrown on top of each other, but it wasn't delicate. It was just, and at the very bottom was the desk. So somehow. The fact that there's a pile of set. It was a pile of set, all right. And so <laughs> it, took us, it took us from like 9 to 4.45 for us to get these pieces and roll them onto the dock, right? And we're just like worn out and dirty and my, my truck's, you know, he, like, he said, yeah, we'll be there in 10 minutes. So I'm sitting there on the dock, and I'm just sort of taking in, like, how amazing my life has gotten and how I just picked up David Letterman's set. And as you know, it takes a while for it to absorb. It takes a while for it to, to sink in if we really to take in the blessing that is an adventure like that. And so I see, like, you know, from, from – uh, 
Stage left, I see that this guy starts walking over. And he's got like the really, really dyed black hair, and he has like a, you know, those plasticky like windbreakers, <laughs> and he's got the cigarette going. And he Members comes up only. to me. He comes up to me, and he goes, "Is that Letterman stuff?" And I go, "Oh yeah, are you a fan? Did you watch the show? This is his first, you know, this is from the late night set." And he goes, he "Doesn't give one shit, right?" He's like, "So it's going to California." And I'm thinking, Christ, two good guesses like that in a row? Something, Something's not right. So what do you think it is? I've heard this story, and I've worked in New York production before. <laughs> so I'm figuring I'm being shaked down. That's, yeah. I I'm that, guessing this is a Teamster, because you got your truck coming in from California, probably a U-Haul or some kid. <laughs> so you think that, but is it is it just I'm watching too much TV? Am I crazy? This was before The Sopranos. I think your intuition's dead on. So he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, I have an office right across the street. You know, the theatrical blah, blah, blah union is right there. You see that building right there? That's us. And I'm figuring, got it. So I had $200 bills in my pocket because I was going to see a Broadway show and then I was going to take my friend to dinner. And I think, go with your gut, Commissar. So I fold up the $200 bills really tight and I thought, I'm going to probably embarrass the hell out of myself. So I folded up and I said, sir, um, I wanted to thank you for coming out and checking and making sure everything's all right. And I really appreciate it and I respect it. And here's a little tribute and thank you very much. And he looks at his hand, and he walks away. Doesn't even make eye contact with me. Five minutes later, four laborers show up, and the truck is loaded in ten minutes. So that guy was actually the union rep. I didn't realize some, that from across the street, some probably. Some supervisor or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This little shithead from Beverly Hills is going to come in and use uh, outside an outside trucking company? It's like he was saying, this isn't how we do things around Not here. Not in my commissar, house. Commissar, commissar. <laughs> Back to California, commissar. So it was, uh, you know, when people buy high-end memorabilia and artifacts, and I not only have my own collection, but I have many celebrity clients, ultra high net worth clients like your husband, and uh, <laughs> and all his friends, oh, all his not, rich friends. He's not a collector, but if he were, <laughs> and uh, what the hell was I saying, Nicole? I look at you and I forget everything. The Teamster. Teamster. No, that wasn't it. We just told that story. Oh, that's it. We're done. The union I think guy. We're done with the oh well. Story. I don't even Can know. I show some pictures of the Letterman stuff? No. Oh, I mean, okay. yes. <laughs> okay. All right. This is uh, this is when I started to be uh, I started to be blown away because I hadn't seen any of this stuff yeah. since I was a kid at that place. So the Jay Ryan history is I was at that same place, Lincoln Scenic, on uh, the tip from Kathleen Anchor saying, "Oh dear, if you still want to see the stuff, you'll have to go over there yourself." I do believe it's being thrown out. And uh, she thought it was already thrown out. And then when I got there and talked to the guy, whoever he was, uh, who handled the Letterman account, he walked me to the stuff that they had from the late show existing and then to the area where the stuff used to be. And he goes, yeah, you just missed it. It used to be right over there. And they were like these stalls of, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it was, you know, it was upstairs in this big building. Just right, right off the West Side Highway. And so, uh, I was, I was, I mean, I literally looked at every, I spent probably the same as you. I probably spent every day there thinking they must have left something somewhere. And I, I mean, I went through every single, I don't know what I was but, looking but at. But I did it the hard way. I actually purchased it. <laughs> I know you have a different I just playbook. wanted to look at it. No, I mean, it, this was year, this was uh, this was years before I took uh, the microphone or anything. Even you know, I showed you those notebooks when I would call. Well, that was the first time you got caught. I mean, that's the first time that you you had to uh, respond to it. 
When, uh, when is that true? When no, we, I mean that was the first time I ever got let in. You know what I mean? I was never, I never had that kind of access before. Okay, but now you're like Dexter Morgan, right? You got one kill. Oh, and, and then you, you got to go you back. Keep going. Yeah, I guess. So what do we do next? <laughs> Where's your place? <laughs> <laughs> let me just give you my alarm code. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So let's see. So I showed you that one. Let's keep going here. Uh, this is where I started to dive deep because I hadn't seen anything in this. Yeah. This really, really started to blow me away when I saw so this. You mentioned Kathleen Anker, <sighs> who, who, uh, who designed all these buildings. And let me all tell of you, these pieces, yeah. These pieces were like, what, from the... Uh, it went off in 92? 93. 93, okay. <laughs> if you want the exact date, I'll tell you. June 25th, 93. How do you know that? How do I know <laughs> that, <kidding>. James? <laughs> oh. Do you know as much about Punky Brewster and Facts of Life, or are you a DL guy? Uh, it was the show. It wasn't even Letterman. It wasn't even the guy himself. It was the show. Wow. It was Mr. Rogers when I was a little kid, and it was Letterman later, and I can't explain it. But my attachment, like I was saying to you the other day on the phone, my attachment to this stuff is unexplainable. Okay. I can't explain it. I, I am completely in vibe with you. I'm going to tell a story to your wife. You just do whatever you do over there, and I'm going to talk to Nicole. <laughs> Nicole, now don't judge me. Never. When I was 12 years old, and a show called The Gong Show was on the air, and it came on at 3 p.m., and it was this, you know, silly talent show, and the host was just, like, a complete amateur, and the, the acts were ridiculous, and somebody would win um, a big prize of, I think it was four six, $416.32. That's right. And something about it. Something about it just clicked in me. So I immediately got to work on becoming the president of the Gong Show fan club. So hmm. there, I, I used to, my dad, who was a physicist, uh, he used to take me to Burbank. When I wore him down, we'd go to Burbank on a Saturday. <laughs> you know, they would shoot five in a row. And I was like in heaven. I was just... Just they, that, the, the, the same studio where they would do Johnny at NBC Burbank? No, this was in the parking oh. lot near the trash cans. Where okay, they did okay. The Gong Show. <laughs> All right. They didn't want any of those fans interacting with Mr. Carson's fans. But no, I just mean it was at that same <laughs> place, yep, though, NBC, right? On that same uh, lot. Yeah. Okay. Alameda. And something about it just gut-punched me like uh, Late Night did for you. So I understand where it's just like there's something about this that I'm supposed to do. I didn't know what it was. It was just like my intro to – Hollywood and the magic of Hollywood, but something about that was key and critical to me. So I do understand when you say, I don't even know what it is. I just, something about that show took me over. I, I, I feel you, brother. I feel you. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird when I, you know, I, the notebooks I pulled out and showed you all those pictures, that, that shit I've hid from people my whole life. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> So he's he's doodling in his high school yearbook or in his, in yeah, his math all of that folders. Stuff. He's doodling sets of of look at this. There's the picture the, I just sent you. Oh, that's like a beautiful finished one. Show them like the ones that are just like line. <laughs> oh, there's tons and, like, and tons of line drawings. And yeah. they're like different elevations. Here's the mic from the ceiling. Here's that's right. the mic from stage left. Hundred percent. And so I'm thinking, you know what? God damn it. I did the same thing with the gong show set. Did you really? I should have thought to bring in the pictures. I used to doodle the gong, and there was, of course, the legendary Jamie Farr and oh. Ruth Buzzy and these names that none of you at home will remember. <laughs> Jamie Farr was the best. Mars Klinger for Klinger MASH for people. MASH. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rex Reed was on. He was awesome. And so I had the same – it seeped into me the same way as Dave seemed to have – 
has seeped into you and you I wasn't know, I, a, I wasn't a fat kid as a kid but I had the exact same everything you described of how you no way go you home popular. after no, way no. You popular. I'm not popular now <laughs> I'm still wondering how you closed this deal I mean I assume you have some cash she knew she had a mess. How did you get the she goes, I got to lock this thing down. Oh, when she, when <laughs> She's she, saying yes to me. Is it when you found out he was a collector? Is that <laughs> totally. when you knew you have to move totally. on it? Can I ask you, have you ever read a comic book? Are you a comic book I guy? I am so not. A, the only comic book I would ever read as a kid was Richie Rich. I've never read a single comic book ever in I, my life, and, and nobody believes me. Ready for this? I've never watched a Star Trek episode of the original series. Unbelievable. It just it, Only if I have to research like a minute here or a minute there for, uh, for my business... But I was more, you know, uh, first of all, H.R. Puffin stuff, the Sid and Marty Croft. Sid and Marty Croft. You're too young. You don't know. But if, you, if you're watching TV in like 69, 70, 71, that was like our Mickey Mouse. That was it. And it still continues to stream today. You know, they only shot 13. What? There's only 13 episodes. That's like the Honeymooners. We've just been watching the same ones forever the same and ever. Same ones over and over. And uh, Marty, who was a shrewd businessman, Marty Croft. He, he's decided, I'm going to put all our money into it. We're going to make nothing. We're going to lose money. But, man, these first, this first order is going to look great. And so after 13, he said, I can't afford to do this anymore. It's, there's no way we can do the show we want to sh- do and match this quality for, for the, the fees we're getting. So they, it, it went into the history books after 13. But there's something about it that if, if you were watching TV around that time, if you were 7 or 8, 9, 10 years old at that time, it meant so much to you. And if you're a year Older, nothing. HR, what? Oh, that's nothing. funny. So um, steep drop off. Yeah. Wow. It was for me. It was. I was a kid of Mr. Mouth. We had that little game, Mr. Mouth, oh and the God. thing looked like HR Puff and stuff, like the little guy did. So I never watched the show, but I feel like I grew up with the toy. <laughs> you know, those two Sid. There was Sid. There's two brothers, Sid and Marty. Sid was the money man, and Marty was the ideas guy. And so after they did, you know, they did Puff and Stuff, and they did Lidsville, and Sigmund, and uh, Croft Super Show. Then they did, God help us, the Donnie and Marie Variety Show. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, the Donnie and Marie uh, Variety Show, and then they went on to do the Brady Hour, which was, oh my God, even for me, was a, that was a, just a train wreck. So I heard from the costume designer on uh, the Donnie and Marie Show that... Uh, Sid would come in and go, you know, they had all kinds of dancers and a big kick line and a big production number. And uh, Sid would come in and he goes, I have an idea. We're going to do a tribute to soup and crackers. This is a real. <laughs> and Sid would say, are you crazy? More tits and ass. More tits and ass. And that's how these two, I don't know how they crafted these amazing shows, but they. Well, it's the yin and yang, right? It's the yin and yang, I guess. But those shows were just magical, how they poisoned me. You know, I'm still, you know, I'm, if there was ever a fire and I could drag a few pieces out of the warehouse, oh, Puffin Stuff and Witchy Poo, number oh, one and two, Karnak number three. Karnak behind Puffin Stuff and Witchy Poo. That's how indelible it was for me, were, were those two shows. Were you ever able to get anything from the original Gong Show set, or were you too young at the time to actually pursue that? Too young. I heard that it was immediately thrown out. Just thrown out. But when they did, they did a movie later about Chuck Barris being a spy, maybe ten or fifteen years ago. I yeah, uh, Sam Rockwell. Yep, 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 yep. And so when that came out, one of the scenes was they were on the Gong Show set, yeah. and he was hosting the show. They recreated it like they do. 
and they did a great job. So I called my friends at Sony, and I said, i got to get that gong. And so that gong was behind my desk for like 10 years. You got it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. It's not the same, but it's it's something. Visually, it 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 kind of reminded me of my roots, and it kind of reminded me what got me into all of this. Yeah. So I know you're uh, both big fans of late-night television, but I want to show you one of my very favorite pieces. This is Ernie Koufax's original uh, whiskey flask. No kidding. And Whoa. so, as you know, many of the, the devices and bits that Ernie Koufax developed uh, were further developed for David Letterman. And so this came up, and the thing that's so amazing about this is this is sterling silver. This is Italian Gucci leather. There's an imprint on the back that says Gucci. And the super magic thing is it's still filled with the brandy. With Come Mr. Koufax's, can you can you? Can I you do. See? Wow. Whoa. From how old Whoa. is that? Fifties. Holy Late cow! Late fifties. So there's at least Whoa. seventy plus year old brandy or whatever in there. I, I've always thought I'm I'm just gonna open it up. I'm just gonna do it. It's been a hard week. I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> do we do we know it's brandy? It's I've smelled it, it and it's like definitely brandy. brandy. Wow. And so, who, we were talking the other day about you know I'm worried that Johnny Carson is quickly becoming invisible, but. Yep. Have you ever heard of Ernie Koufax? Nobody. Only from him. You're a Goldblum fan. When I was a kid, he did the movie. Uh, he played Ernie Koufax in the movie. Do you remember that? Oh. It was like a, maybe a made-for-TV. Mm. All right, I'm going to have to look it up because I, I remember enjoying it as a kid. Wow. So that's... Uh, he was married to... Uh, she's in my favorite... Uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Yes. Uh, Edie Adams. Edie Adams. So yeah. Edie Adams saved everything. I remember going over to her house and like... It was like a makeshift museum. So she, that's where you got that? No, I got that from. She wouldn't sell me anything. Good. Okay. <laughs> you want my dress? No. So um, that's a magic piece. I always thought that, uh, you know, I've met Mr. Letterman sometimes at functions, but it wouldn't have been appropriate for me to go and foam all over him. So, but I ever, foam all yeah, over A foaming fan. So I thought if I ever meet him where we're peers and we're at something, I, I would give that to him because he was such a, he himself Whoa. was such a fan of, Kofax. So this is something so personal, right? This was in his pocket. He'd carry it around body. with him, and he needed a little courage once in a while, too. And it's kind of like you with a heroin, but it's different because this is liquor. <laughs> Switch to pills. Yeah, it's much easier. So much easier. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. I know we're, we're keeping it to late night uh, today, but I think you're going to come back with Greg Grumberg at some point, oh and then goodness. we're going to do a whole thing, and we'll open it up to everybody. You better put a plastic drop cloth down, because <laughs> we're going to make a mess. He, uh, <clears throat> I, I love him. I love him. He's amazing. Um, but you gave me a couple things that I wanted to touch on, too, because I just followed your Instagram account, and it's, I guess, your, is it your wife, Amber, who yep. runs the Instagram account? Um, what does your wife, Amber, think about you bringing pieces home for display? <laughs> Cause like, so the first time I come here, you were, bu you were busy doing something else in another room. And I walk in and I go, I've, I, did I not say, I have to meet your wife right now? <laughs> and, you know, I have to, hi, Amber. You said, how did you, how did you convince your wife? How did she let this happen? Because, you know, I have to negotiate for every mug, and, you know, for every mm -hmm. Pierce Carson's pencil. And it has to be reviewed by my wife just so I don't take over the whole damn house. And I walk into your your space here and it's like 90% David Letterman I thought 
she's either mentally ill or what what is going on here but she's lovely and she indulges your physically ill your, but she tolerates all of this you, don't you like it there was a period where i thought like oh i'm gonna have to convince you for to sell this idea and you were like no that just makes sense go ahead i love it it's like my old life better so you know some people might know but i know nicole was i don't know you talked about it on the show she was like the most ass-kicking production executive <laughs> publicist she was if you needed something done and when i say done no matter how it had to be done you'd call nicole would find a way to, to get her done didn't you she was on the other side of production and she was uh, a pit bull if i may say publicist in the li- nicest way yeah so that's fair. i'm sure you have opinions on the slap gate with uh Ooh, nice segue you know it was like so I wrote for some stand-ups. I wrote for Eddie Murphy's company, and this was just like out of high school, and I wrote for comics. And the idea that somebody goes onto a stage, not even a performance club, but on a, on a national stage, and accosts a comic to me is mind-blowing. I mean, I don't know why he wasn't arrested. I don't know why he wasn't carried away. I'm not saying cancel out all of his great work will smith and his performance was oscar winning no doubt about it but i mean that's mental illness plain and simple i mean whether it's narcissism or something where you can forgive my colloquialism shit on the hundreds of people who were there and the thousands of people who worked on those films being honored and the fact that he thought it was his place to uh act like a rabid fool and reduce that experience to a bar fight was to me something I've never seen before. And I thought of you because you represented those top tier boys and I could have just imagined your phone ringing and how would you handle that? What would you do? I would have known about it weeks ago, but I, the whole thing, everyone needs to stop talking until there's any consensus because now there's all this, investigation and shit and the photos of people coming out like the whole night got usurped by that whole thing so you have to stop that story immediately and put the focus back on what it should have been on which is the films that people were there to celebrate like rock didn't even host that one like it shouldn't have so if you you professionally you would just try to look the other way and make it go away Get it out of the attention sort of thing? Is that your point? You try to roll past it. You have to, if I I think you have to, to get to the real story later. like. But you know the great American people. I mean, they're just praying for a nip slip or something happens or somebody curses. And <laughs> Did you see that at the same time? They're, no. <laughs> yeah. can't show this on the show. Chris Rock, there was a nobody nip slip Rock. Absolutely nope. nobody was talking about it. I couldn't believe it. So, Let me see if I can find it. I won't show it on the, the show show, but I will for sure show you. This was at the same time. Well, well, well. Now, keep in mind, she represented her. So this, again, would yeah, have been her Don't problem. show her face, but she's an easy lady to deal with, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but n- that's the thing. Like, none of this camp, none of them are. So everyone knows that going into it. He shouldn't have even gotten up there. I don't know how well, that happened. Well, it's because it's he thought that his immediate knee-jerk impulse had to be satiated at that very second. Mm. You know, um, 
they go to commercial on those things like every four minutes. Yeah. He could have literally, two minutes later, he could have walked backstage, and he's in the front row. I mean, we're talking about six big strides to get to the, to the, you know, the side of the curtain. And he could have expressed his discontent or done whatever. He could have laid him out. He could have done what he wanted. But no, he felt that his uh, point of view was so important that he was going to, uh, you know, basically force the American public to see his crazy roll out in real time. And, you know, at the detriment of those people who worked so hard to get to that ceremony. I mean, it's literally, as you know, the chances of getting a job in Hollywood and getting to the point where your story and truth and and piece of content is uh, nominated for Academy Award, let, let alone wins. I mean, it's like, it's impossible. It's not like even zero, 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 zero. It's like, it's, it's a impossible. huge deal. And that argument slap wasn't what that night's about. So the whole thing made me cringe. I think personally, I think he should be arrested. I mean, that was an assault. Witnessed by millions of people, and uh, I'm all for the creative process. You know, I dealt as a writer with a lot of entertainers and talent, and in my business now, I have a lot of clients who are very recognizable people, and uh, they're not all that way. You know, they're they're they understand. You know, they're lucid people. They understand yes, no, black, white. What they don't understand is, you know, when I'm dealing with these kind of people, these are people who don't hear the word no for like 20 years at a time. Mm -hmm. So. They don't necessarily live easily in the real world, but they're not rabid. They're not going to just cold cock somebody on a stage. So I think what he did, even among the talent community, was just insane. It's weird. I don't know how somebody could work their whole life for that moment and then and then. <laughs> I guess that was Denzel's point. I guess that uh, the devil comes for you in your highest, your well, proudest but, moment. But for those of us who study spirituality or whatever, you know the. The devil is within, and I think he was probably you know, <laughs> one of the biggest uh, evils that live within us is ego, there it is. lust, greed. So his own poison inside of himself was so strong that he ruined his own moment, you know, that whatever you want to call it, evil, devil, uh, bad energy, whatever you want to call it, it bubbled up in him in such a way that he self-sabotaged his own, the biggest moment, one would say, mm. in his professional life. So I feel for the guy, but you shouldn't have done it, and now you got to pay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, what do you think the Academy will... Nothing. Really? What does Academy always do? Nothing. He was, you know... <sighs> this one seems different. It's not... They're not going to do anything. They'll this do has something. to be addressed somehow. Like, I don't know what they're going to do necessarily, all those targets are behind closed doors, but they have to address it somehow. I think it they was should international, ban him. Maybe ban him from, all, from attending any other event. I mean, you don't take away his Oscar. You, you know, don't? That was my curiosity. Worked, I feel like if it was an athlete in a game, they take the, the, the trophy back or whatever. But it's also, you know, he, he just, he had his lines and he showed up and he did a masterful job, but there were hundreds and hundreds of people who wrote and created the costumes and did set design and directed and you don't just you don't just cancel all of that in my well if it was opinion. best picture I would agree with you but best actor doesn't really affect those and people no as much. actor gets to be best actor unless you have a top notch oh I fully agree you know, with you crew uh, absolutely and you know I think to to say that that didn't happen and to just a genie blanket away I don't buy that but I do buy that you're a 
you know, you're a danger to the public, maybe yourself. You, you, you are not allowed back in our building. That's what I would do. But what do I do? Can we be, get back to talking about celebrity underwear? I feel like we've, <laughs> we've gone on to something We started else. with Elvira. Was it Elvira's underwear? I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I did bring you a little gift. I thought that oh. uh, this beautiful desk, and I know you're very fond of the sort of the Rat Pack era. Take it out. All right. I thought you should have this on your... Oh, amazing. I wanted to... Okay, all right. Let's Should we see. do this first? Yeah. Where's the little red bundle? The little red bundle? Yeah. Should I give it to her to open? Sure. Here you go. <laughs> so, Nicole, you know, in the great tradition of talk shows and stuff, I thought that he should have a mid-century desk lighter. So I knew is, that's what it was. So this is from Mad Men. No way. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. wow. Man, it was cool. Is it really from Mad Men? It's from Mad so Men. So is this phone. Wow. That's amazing. Is it? Yeah. I have one. I think I have it's one hilarious. too. It's amazing. So I thought you needed a you needed a desk lighter like Mr. Carson amazing. had. Amazing. Wow. Do you remember that? There was always one right here yeah. next to the pencil box. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Do you have that? Do you have the accoutrement that went he, on the desk? They, it was said that he took home the pencil the pencil box mm. and the lighter, but I don't think that ever panned out. I don't yeah. Think he. I think somebody's. You know, in those days when a show went off, actors, crew members, everybody just stole everything. <laughs> So now it actually started with the uh, Seinfeld that when a show was was just, you know, an unqualified hit, you know, in the, the lexicon of the American social history from there forward. Now they have armed guards on the sets before the final show. They'll DNA mark everything because wow. they don't want those they don't want those things out. But mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, everything walks. I think everything. I think from that show, whatever was unpacked up. As Mr. Carson's disappeared. Yeah, we had a uh, we had Spike on the show, Spike Ferriston, who wrote for Seinfeld, and he was talking about uh, the last year somebody came in and stole the buzzer or the intercom. Oh, do you know the story? And then Jerry apparently had, because of sort of maybe foresight or hearing other stories, had installed cameras, so they ended up seeing who had taken it, and they were able to make a phone call and say, "So we know it was you, and you, somebody else on the lot from another show." He's and, got a nerve. And they ended up getting it back, supposedly. Rumor has it that uh, Jerry took the front door and the bike and the and the uh, Superman phone yes. that was in the background. Rumor has it those went to Jerry, and some of them have to go back to the studio. Oh, that's hilarious. I heard he had it in his New York apartment. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, that's Something amazing. like that. I don't, he wasn't, which was surprising, because I've had <clears> some work with him, and he's doesn't seem like a very nostalgic guy. He's kind of like, let's go forward kind of a guy, but... He understood that what's what's more symbolic and emblematic of the show than that that door and especially Kramer's entrance and yeah he he well understood that that was uh, you know worthy of uh, preservation. Um, speaking of preservation, what you do to me is amazing. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that you have saved these things here's here's I I am proof. I, I for twenty nine years I've been looking for something that I thought was, you know, gone and destroyed. And I was going to try to preserve it and save it. The only reason it's not in the dumpster today is because you beat me to it and you preserved it and saved it. So I just want to mm. say from the little childhood me, like, thank you, James Commissar. Oh, it means wow. the world to me that you. that you did what you did and that those pieces, that art that was created by a woman I used to care a lot about and talk to on the phone a lot, um, isn't in a dumpster someplace. You saved it, and it means the world to me. Well, I appreciate it. 
And uh, I'm sure that if I didn't save it, you would have eventually stole it. So that. <laughs> that's right. Be here one way or the other. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I want to say, this has been like a, such a blessing and such an amazing journey that I've got to sort of discover and pioneer this art market and to have clients who are, in some cases, the same people I watched up, I watched on television. Um, it's all very magical. But, you know, you have to contextualize that, you know, when I was doing it, there was no Internet. There was no Google. There was nothing. You know how I had to advertise that I was looking for piece, for pieces? Call people. Classified ads in the LA Times. Mm-hmm. Oh, you really put out ads? Yeah. It would say, like, wanted ruby slippers. And people would call me with, do they want to sell me life insurance? or? <laughs> but it was, you know, it was really hard. I will tell you that uh, uh, I think the, the craziest thing I was ever offered was somebody somebody calls me from Las Vegas. I see it's a Las Vegas number, and he says, you got to call me back right away. I can't tell you. I can't leave it on the message, but you got to call me back right away. So I call him back, and he said, look, I'm a dentist in Las Vegas area, and uh, Elvis Presley was going to go on stage, and he had a problem with one of his back teeth. Uh, I guess he blew a cap <laughs> or needed a root canal or something. It was an immense pain, and I was close by, and they called me in, so I did some work, and I go, okay. Okay, so what do you have? And he said, I have some of the plaque scraped off the teeth of <laughs> Elvis Presley. Gross. I gross, thought it was going to be the gross. tooth at least. No, you kidding. <laughs> I have the schmutz from between his teeth. Gross. You know, between his first show and his second show, whatever he was eating, he goes, I got it. I got it. Oh, my Lord. And it was like, oh. <laughs> you know. So you a, get everything. You get everything. You get all the, you get, I mean, there's, as you can imagine, it goes from that to the most you know magical objects you can imagine but it's it was a it was a it was a journey it was not always easy um my family amber ella you know we made a lot of sacrifices there was a l- many mac and cheese nights there were many canceled family vacations um because we all believed that this kind of history needed to be saved no one was doing it the studios couldn't care less. They still don't. The only reason they save stuff now is for like a DVD rollout and they want to give stuff away. They don't care at all, at all, about the stuff. And we thought, it's slipping through the cracks. We have to do it. These are my, my old pals and I have to do it. And it's really been a, a great journey to do it. I don't know how much longer I can do it. I'm, I'm a little <laughs> old to be unloading trucks, but... <laughs> you do this work yourself right i mean you have a team of people that you hire as well but i mean you're the guy spearheading all of these ventures i'm 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 at every intake um at every truck that comes in or goes out i'm there it's this is my baby i i there can't be any mistakes sorry am i boring you nicole no you seem to have yawned i mean vividly and largely Oh, no. Do you want to go nine eye and I can talk to? Okay. Assuming that I haven't bored you, nope. I'm on the edge of my seat. I mean, I can't get it. I've had to go to the bathroom for the last 15 minutes, but I'm just sitting here taking it. Don't you have a catheter? Christ's sake! Um, what is the plan? I, I know at one point uh, there was maybe a museum going to be uh, in effect. What's the long term yeah. plan? How can we help? Um, that's the question. What's the long-term plan, and how can we help? 
Well, I can give you a list of pieces that I'm still after, and you can go break in at night and steal it. <laughs> Consider, <laughs> I will earn that <laughs> late night set one way or the other. Absolutely. Tell me what you want. You, under, get you it. understand you'll never visit my warehouse. You understand For sure. That? Yeah, you can't let my me in there. My insurance company is going to watch this segment and go, you can't have anything to do with this guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're going to cancel you. <laughs> but, you know, you and I had a very deep conversation the other day about, you know, I only collected these pieces because, you know, let's talk about the great Johnny Carson because – Super important, pioneered the medium, on television for 30 years. There'll never be another talent like him. I mean, on air between three and five nights a week for 30 years in a row. And for the mm -hmm. biggest stretch of that, 90 minutes a night, five days a week. I mean, there's, there, there will be – there might be other great broadcasters. There will be no other Johnny Carson. Um, so it's, it's, it's so personal to me that these pieces get saved. But mm -hmm. like we were talking about – and I asked you your advice, and I said, do you – I mean, should I get rid of or should I sell the Carson set? I mean, I'm worried that nobody knows who he is anymore. I was in a pitch meeting a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. at, a, at, a, at a big network TV guide, and <laughs> I was talking about this and Johnny Carson, and these young people look at each other and goes, who, who's Johnny Carson? And I'm like, validate my ticket and get me the hell out of here, yeah. you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a sell-by date on this kind of art and I worry that you know will, will Mr. Carson go the way of like Jack Parr or Mr. Kovacs or, or Merv Griffin or people that are just invisible in our shared popular culture in the 2000s and um, this is a great question but these are the people we still watch on YouTube so to us they're still current even though the, a lot of them have been dead for 30 years it's the only hope that we have is that you know um during the pandemic, the number one category of content that was streamed was comfort television. And it's not like with everything that's going on in the internet and streaming and Netflix and Hulu, people are still, more than ever, going back to those old comfortable brands. You know, some of the biggest shows in the history of television and continue on to this day are uh, Friends, Seinfeld, Sopranos, The Office. I see a little uh, love for uh, Rain Wilson in the other room. It's not love. She worked with Rain and Craig. She worked with a handful of people. Why is it? What show. I don't understand is why is it on your on your table near your bed? That was a little weird. <laughs> That's All the not... pictures of Rain Wilson. <laughs> well, I thought I would put it back on the wall. No. Um, the one in the living room is uh, from Saturday Night Live. That was from when you know all the bumpers okay. from Saturday Night Live when she had him host that. So you know the thing is, what do you do? I mean, these are we never bought them as investments, but at the same time. You know, we, I figured out recently, I had a, a conversation with a member of Mr. Carson's family last week, and they said, so how's the set? What's going on or whatever? And so we did a little accounting. We picked it up in 93. Between 93 and 2022, we had spent $600,000 on bringing in the set, doing conservation twice, uh, climate, humidity, light-controlled storage, the best art insurance that you could buy on Earth, mm -hmm. AXA art insurance, we just did everything perfect. We open up every package every three months to make sure is there any infestation? Is there, you know, did a feral cat go through the warehouse? Stuff happens. Anything. Rodents. Yeah. We're always looking for frass, which is a fancy museum term for shit. So we're always looking for uh, tracks. <laughs> so you can now say to him, you're a piece of frass, and it'll be so much more elegant. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do? You know, do you, it's, you don't want to end up holding a bunch of stuff that has no art market value because right. then, 
that's rough too. So, and what was your advice to me on that? Do I continue to save it? Do I let it go? Uh, I'm tough on that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm such a nostalgic person that I want to stroll through that museum. I want to work at that museum. I want to help curate that museum. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of, I mean, in talking to you, the logistics of actually starting a museum is an impossible nightmare. I mean, it, it sounds is, great on paper. It is impossible. You know, I, I knew, do you know the name Debbie Reynolds? <laughs> yeah, of course. She had a huge collection, so of course. So she was like, I've been called the Debbie Reynolds of television, which is a <laughs> huge honor because even in the early 70s, Debbie Reynolds was a musical uh, film star and worked and was trained and came up at MGM where they had the greatest musicals like Singing in the Rain. And she saw that they were treated like, if you go to a wardrobe department, they're treated like garbage. It's like, if we could rent this beautiful, amazing couture beaded gown, if we can rent it for $25 a week, it goes out. If it comes back, it's torn, made no difference. It was just revenue, it was just rental inventory. So she started collecting everything she could for motion pictures. She did all the hard work. She had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the greatest costumes in the history of motion pictures. And she went to the motion picture museum and said, I've done all the work. I'm not getting any younger. I want you to have it. And she offered to, in she offered as a collection, all of these incredible objects from Judy Garland's slippers from The Wizard of Oz to Marilyn Monroe's greatest dresses. And she offered that these pieces to her at a price that was very reasonable. I mean, I would say like seventy five percent off retail. And they said, eh, nah. Mm. And so she had to go to auction and sell it and she was you know it sold for over 25 million she was had more cash than she ever did in her life but she was sad every remaining day of her life because the dream was to hold these pieces together and i have that same you know crushing feeling of responsibility that imagine that from all over the world i brought these thousands of pieces together and in some of these sets like you know the cast of the monster costumes I brought them together shirt by sock, by mm. pair of shoes, by button. I mean, it, they didn't just show up, oh, here's right. the whole cast. You know, it was a tremendous amount of work. And the idea of it all going to auction, like Debbie's, where a large percentage of her stuff went to Dubai, mainland China, and it's left the country forever. These are not people who ever sell their assets. Mm. And so, you know, I would be... Will never be seen again, basically. And... Mm. and the idea of it going out of country and leaving our country, these, I mean, what is a more American Southern California industry than the entertainment business? That is our hometown industry. And for it to leave and never come back to me is, it's its so sad, it's hard for me to absorb. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. You know, the universe has its plan and we'll see what's to be. Well, we talked about it and like say some rich benefactor comes in with X amount of dollars, a really, really high amount of money without putting a figure on it um, you know you want to do you want me to no you want to i know you want do to you put want a figure me on to. It i'm trying to be respectful of you everybody wants to put a figure on it well we put one on the other night but i don't know if you're comfortable with me sharing that here but i mean if somebody well, all came of a in, sudden you're concerned with me being comfortable on your show we're like 40 <laughs> minutes into it and all of a sudden he cares about me <laughs> talking about money um anyway so say something like that happened and then does the collection leave your hands all in one shot to do things like how does this work for you are would you really be yourself if you weren't the guy behind this collection that's a i mean that's like cut me to go the quick difficult difficult i'm asking my own self the same thing i know it's that's hard to reconcile but the first part of your question is 
you know, if I can't do it and if I can't make a museum happen, which in my opinion will never happen, there's too many working parts. You have to raise, you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And then at the end of year one, you got to do it all over it again to keep it going. Um, you know, I, I don't have that kind of fire in my belly anymore to do that. Um, so the next best thing would be somebody who has a curatorial staff and somebody who collects cultural objects would say, oh, you know, I'll, we'll take it in and we'll carry the ball and we'll, you know, hopefully get it across the finish line and make, see, see that it gets to some sort of museum exhibition. But those pieces, those sort of parties really, there's like two or three on earth. And trying to get to them is, you know, I've had clients who were U.S. presidents. Easier to get a U.S. president on the phone than, you know, these bold face uh, Hollywood legends. Yeah. And so the after that, you know, the only other way to go is you put it in auction. The auction houses are horrible. They want you to put it in oh. with very, very low, you know. Oh. If, reserve or no reserve. Superman's costume is worth 100000 They'll say, oh, we'll put it in a... a Two to four thousand. We'll just see what happens. Oh, we'll go crazy. Screw and, you. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough business model, but it's not the money. It's never been about the money. It's about the grouping, the you know these pieces living in concert to tell the story of our social history mm -hmm, right. being broken up is just to me is a it's a heartbreaker. <sighs> I don't know what we do. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Well. Well, he could spearhead it. You need he doesn't someone... have enough money to do it himself, but he's got, he could spearhead it. I mean, this has to be a big endeavor. Would People you... don't understand what you have done here. It's, even your words do not justify it. You have to thumb through the book. I can't imagine strolling through the warehouse. I described it the other day to somebody that sounded like where the Ark of the Covenant must be. You know what I mean? Oh, that's nice. Do you have the Ark of the Covenant? No, it's, that's movies. <laughs> um, if there's a great video online of you mentioned Greg Grunberg, my great friend. Love He's been Greg. in a million TV shows. I've worked with him on Felicity. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He was learning his chops then. Yes. He's such a good guy and such a charitable man. Um, and then he invited Kevin over, Kevin Smith. There's on If you go online, I think it's called Geeking Out. And there's a, hey. Here we go. They're my boys. One of those people reeked from weed. You could smell it from across the street. But uh, <laughs> It wasn't you? No. Okay. No, I'm more of a multivitamin guy myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a great visit. And you could see somebody like uh, Kevin Smith, who's, you know, himself a very cultural figure. And I don't think I'm telling any secrets that when he saw Adam West's Batman costume and we were going to, a, you know, insert close up shot. I mean, he 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 had some wet cheeks. And uh, no, I should clarify for you because you're such a pig oh, on his geez. face, on his face. And Not me. He uh, here. You talk to the missus for a minute. I'm going to go take a leak. <laughs> oh my god! Thank God he's gone. Jesus Christ! Ow! He just pinched my ass. Stop it! God. So finally, we can just chat. Well, there you are. So seriously, you must hate all this shit, right? No. Half of your home is tied up in. Nope. Uh, my this. Is, you know, my old life was PR for comedians. Like yeah. this was my daily. This was this what would have been the best of a daily grind. But your life was, I know my wife is a line producer for live television, so I, I know the life. I know the getting up at 5 a.m. and then coming home at midnight and having less than an eight-hour turnaround. you got to do it all over again seven days a week. Uh, 
is your area especially you did you did booking and you worked with talent and you did with publicity that's got to be probably the most difficult area of it all because you're you're dealing directly with the talent and they can be a little rough it's just constant because the talent's one thing, but it's all their endorsement people and their agents and their managers. It's all those people. Like in my business, I have clients who are well-known people that are looking for certain amazing pieces. And my policy in my business is if you're – I'm making up a name. Let's say you're <laughs> – Jesus Christ, he just touched my hairpiece. I didn't touch yes, anything. Yes, you did. I didn't touch anything. I got to hold, just make sure my watch is here, my wallet is here. So let's say, you know, let's say you're Jerry Seinfeld. Um, you can't go out in the marketplace and look for your own stuff because they'll, you know, Gouge brokers, you. even auction houses are not terribly honest. The Seinfeld's prices, looking for it all of a sudden. Well, the, the prices will magically go up 500%. So they'll hire me to clandestinely go in and do the research and uh, be, get, be very careful about it. But in my work with celebrities, you know, they're, they're, they have their own worldview, which I respect. But I have a lot of respect for you because getting into that zone of how they see the world and how they expect it to run and for you to have weathered that for decades, that takes a, a strong mama to get through that. So good for you. Thanks. Good for you. Is, was all of that harder than dealing with this one person? No. No. Okay. Good. I irritate you more than I irritate most people. You irritate me so much. I know. No, you don't. No, you don't. I can handle it. You're we, a thief, we annoy but each you're other. Nice, we, you're we, a nice thief. I think we remind each other of each other. You're a nice a criminal. I mean, you're one of the nicest criminals I've ever met. <laughs> you came over. We thought we were going to have to rush through that meeting when you came over the other day because we thought his time is really valuable. We'll just have to get through this. You stood for like six and a half hours. Was, we, we have not spent that much time with anyone in five, six years. We have a lot to, I mean, we're kindred spirits in that we grew up on this. On the box. This, we grew up on the box. product that was television. We got into, you know, it's, it's complicated. You know, like when I did my deep dive into the gong show, my parents were getting divorced. And I know oh. that you had some great losses. And it's interesting how when you're, I don't know. That stuff seeps in when you're maybe feeling low or something, and it just takes over you. That's I don't know. It. Wouldn't you say that? Yes, that that's exactly it. I was I was probably filling in some other hole. You too. I'm uncomfortable with you saying filling in a hole. Oh, jeez, so yeah. I, I, okay. I just don't like it at all. <laughs> it's in my rider. You may not use the word hole while commissar's in the guest chair. Can't say moist with her. Can't say hole with him. Okay, got it. <laughs> but don't you think? I mean, it's such yeah. an emotional thing. I mean... Now, if I'm being critical and I'm watching an episode of Puffin Stuff now, it's uh, hmm. it can be rough at times. You know, you watch some of these, you tune into some of these old shows, or an F Troop or uh, Hogan's Heroes or something. Or even, They're all rough. And you watch it and you go, hmm, how did that have such a grasp on me? And I think the secret sauce is all those emotions. It's the... You know, I love the Partridge family, but I remember my mom cooking in the kitchen, and mm. I remember oh. my dad coming home from work and sitting on the mm -hmm. linoleum floor, and I remember, you know, certain shows, and when the parents were fighting, I'd go in the other room and, you know, zone out to the Brady Bunch, and I think so much of our, our, our emotions are tied into these shows. We bring, you know, so much to the shows that they become you know, masterpieces of art. And then when we revisit them a little later, some of them don't, shall we say, resonate mm -hmm. 
in the same way? Did you? Am I talking your language yeah, about the yeah, emotionality not, of this? Hundred, hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think, uh, I think, I just, you know, it's not until later in life that you can even under, identify all the pieces and move them around. Well, I didn't honestly. You know, one of the reasons we had this big, long, great visit the other day was when you showed me your doodle of 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 the Letterman set. It just hit me like a lightning bolt. Me doodling the Gong Show set on my on my you know my. Hang ten folder. And yeah, you trapper I, keeper. And it's interesting that we grew up in different parts of the country, had different lives. Um, you know, I was a heterosexual non-criminal, so you know it was very different. Right, very still heterosexual, <laughs> but obviously a criminal because, as we know. But we were both hit with that lightning, and it really carried over into our life's work and our our, our truth. I would not have been connected with these materials i wouldn't have done what i did and it was hard physically hard work to track down those you know herman munster jackets or genie bottles or hr puffin stuff jimmy's flute you have to it has to run very deep because especially then financially there was no reward this stuff was worth nothing right so Mm -hmm. why are you doing it? it i love that i've been at forbes magazine a couple times and you know they always say that you know i was like this market maker that I knew before everyone that this stuff was going to trend up. Are you fucking kidding me? All I knew is, you know, I love Puffin stuff, and Keith Partridge was so talented, and there was never, there was no impulse in my brain with, oh, you know, we're just going to hold it, and then long term, and it's going to just be beautiful, and I'm going to retire. It'll all be very valuable one day. Did that you was never... ever have a thought when you uh, uh, got, we're going to use that verb, got the microphone? Did you ever think for a second, oh, this is a this is an asset. I'm going to put this in my safe deposit box, and 20 years from now, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to turn this into money. Never. Never. And I know that's true because you had me over, and one of the things is you'll notice I'm sitting on a white towel. It's not a bladder control issue, but... You know, from, in my world, you don't sit on an artifact. But <laughs> can we talk about? Uh, well, I want to. I want to finish. You this go thought, ahead. You go ahead. Because this says a lot about you. you, you the ahead. reason I came over is you're good friends with Greg, and I'm good friends with Greg. And yep. we had just, Greg said, go over and help this dude out. And I knew about you in the telecast here, and your concern was that the chair uh, could be suffering from use on the show, and should you retire them or bring in duplicate chairs? And I looked under magnification. And looking for threadbare areas or something, and it's actually in very good condition. Yeah. And so I know your heart is like my heart, where the objects are more important than us. You know, they 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 tell a story that you know they tell a story of a show that went dark sometimes 50 years ago, mm-hmm. and I immediately felt that to you that it was not. How do I leverage this stuff to make me famous? But no, it was the opposite. In fact, I think we've decided to get rid of the chairs. <laughs> Not get rid of them, but take them off of the set. $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my concern was, you know, when we got them, one was significantly more worn than the other, mainly in the uh, the, the cushion, whatever the uh, – it's not the fabric so much as whatever the uh, – The armrest or the, the bottom cushion? The, the seat cushion. You're kind of on if – you, if you weren't on your towels there, you'd realize you were pretty much on the springs of the seat, and if you sit in the other one, you're not. You should see Johnny Carson's guest chair. I okay. Mean, there's so nothing there. There's, I mean, there's – The foam's just disintegrated foam is, over the years. And the, the arms, there's big white, you know, it was – it started out tan, then it was re-dyed blue, and then now it, the, the, the dye is become unstable, and there's like big white patches where the hands would have gone. Gotcha. And I don't see, I 
as you remember, I had looked at it with magnification on the top, bottom, took the, you the cushions over, off. Yeah. And, you know, they're in, I'm not saying this should be their life forever. Right. But they're, you've taken very good care of them. I know you cover them and we cover do. everything when you're not shooting. I'm an old union guy, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Look, here's 100. I don't want any problems. Um, all right. So when you were talking about your desk and the whole bit, and I was telling you my story, of course. I saw this picture of your, your desk and oh, all. And there's one glaring – well, there's a couple things glaringly missing, of course. It's the guest chairs and, of course, the microphone. Oh, my God. Oh my God. So where do we go with this? Take it away. Well <laughs> – we were talking, Nicole, and we were all talking, and, and I think we're all sort of spiritual people where we believe that this isn't just a world of random chaos, that there's some leadership, whatever you want to call it, and this is a loving source and wants us to do as well as we can. And so I have seen uh, my great friend Gavin McLeod, who used to play the captain on the love boat, who died recently, he used to call them God winks, like God winks, where you just get a little tap on the shoulder and you go, oh, okay. And... When Greg said, go see my friend, he really is concerned about the chairs. <laughs> and, you know, when I uh, – it, it didn't hit me because I, I went to the warehouse, which was Lexington? Oh, uh, Lincoln. Lincoln, Lincoln Scenic. Lincoln, right. Yeah. And the desks were there, and I thought, where's the desk? And it was on the bottom of the mountain. And it's like, well, where are the chairs? Where's Dave's chair? And we were out of time. It wasn't there. Nobody knew. And we took off. And I thought, this is – so weird. And I had heard, like, years later that Dave took his chair with him. I don't know if he was superstitious or it was like an F you to NBC, but it was gone. Confirmed. So mm-hmm. I go to my David Letterman expert, you, <laughs> and, I, and I said, where the hell did they go? And I come over and I find out that these are those chairs. These are the chairs from Late Night with David Letterman that were later reupholstered. According to Kathleen Anchors, exactly that, that they literally stole them, the D- Dave's chair, and the microphone was given to them by the audio department, but they took it out of the building. Uh, after the rap party in the studio, Jesus. after the final show uh, at NBC and so, Dirty Rock. Nicole, what are, what are the chances, if, you know, if, if this is just a random world and there's no order to it, that I end up in your house and I'm here today sitting on these chairs I've been trying to track down for decades and you have them. It's like, it's the world is sometimes works with us to, uh, I felt everything you're talking about. So then I felt the need to do something further as well. And I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but you know, when I was a kid, I did took the microphone, the story we told before, and I gave Dave one. Okay. So now I'm an, I'm the guy who puts microphones on desks. So wait, let's just clarify the, Go ahead. the microphone that as a kid, as a foaming, crazy, dedicated kid, you had like uh, Frankenstein this microphone together exactly. with uh, various parts. Some you made, some you forged, some you taped. Uh, pretty much. And you put this thing together, and it, I mean, to my eye, it looks exactly the same. I mean, it's even <laughs> taped like in a way that a, a grip. Oh, yours, the one you're talking the about. The one that... that uh, I know that I know a lot about right now. Well, hang on. So th- that's my point. There have been a number of li- microphones so in my life. That there's, you're talking about two different. <laughs> when I was a kid, I did a show in high school, and I and I had my. Do we have a picture here? I'm sure we do. I had a, li- a little show in high school that we did with uh, with you know like like you do in in school. You get your desk and chairs, and you get your your friends to come be on. And uh, in this case, I think it was up with people. 
uh, for this particular one. But <laughs> Lady look, I mean, killer. This is me, you know, in high school. No. Well, high school. So that microphone is ha- that's the, that's the mic no. that ended up being going on Dave's desk. But that's how it looked when I got it. Who did that skyline? I did. I did it all. I did everything. Oh, God, you are you are ill. <laughs> I know. Put it here, buddy. That's amazing. So uh, you put together the microphone because you couldn't. I bought. I bought. I spent all of my allowance and bought an actual RCA microphone. But the, it took me months to find one, and it w- happened to not be the right color. So I then took it to Danbury Metal Finishers oh, in Danbury, Connecticut. Had it chromed to look the same, and then the handle wasn't right. The holder wasn't right. So then I went to this place called Barzetti's Welding in Bethel, Connecticut, and I had. I drew all the pictures. And I said, "Here, make this." And I took the actual RCA stand, the you know the big long oh, one, and I said, "Here, these." things but make it like this and whatever so they made that piece for me and they still didn't do it right so i took it down into the basement of my dad's uh uh whatever it is his father's vice and i put it in there and then i beat it down with a rubber mallet so that's why it's all it's totally crunked it shouldn't be on the Serial desk David killer do you make sure he takes his meds every day because this based was, on that story that's this uh, was this was me as a kid that was the 14 15 year old me oh my god it's, it's amazing so now that now, one i steal this from david letterman that night i get led in the theater then i go back to dave's wait, house so the people understand i don't know if everyone who's watching today knows the rich backstory of your illness and thievery <laughs> but you through through ways we're not going to articulate you became somehow the unofficial owner of yes, the right. original david letterman mike and that's it right but right. you say from your childhood you had put together one that is an amazing exact Look alike. Hang on. Okay, go. <laughs> there are three, really, because there's the one I was just telling you about that I beat up and whatever. That one went to David Letterman, and he ended up using on his show desk for ten years. Because the one that I from my you... high school went to because I went to his house, and I didn't admit that I stole the real well, one. Let me I just make sure I, I have this straight. And for all the law enforcement who's watching tonight, <laughs> so you acquired the show used one. Then you felt either. Guilty or scared. <laughs> Both. So you, as how old were you? Uh, I was 18, fresh okay. 18. Okay. Very <laughs> undeveloped young 18. So this 18-year-old schnook decides the best course of action is to track down David Letterman at his home. I went to his house. Because that always works the best with talent, right? Just showing up unannounced yeah. at their home. In the 90s. Always. Like, he was already dealing with someone else who was doing that. But you already had, you had the presence of thought of thinking, well, I'm not giving it back the original one. I went through too much. I'm going to keep it, and I'm going to give him... I told you I had a buddy staying with me because my dad had just died, yeah, and yeah. I was out of my head. And it was, so, you know, you, you bounce the idea ping-pong back and forth, and you go, oh, yeah, by the end of the week, it's like, yeah, let's you just You sold yourself on it. And so you, you're giving him one, this, the one you spooged together yes, yes. that you were working... It was <laughs> never good enough for me. ...for high school, yes. which must have been a real leg spreader when... <laughs> Wow. I mean... We already acknowledged that was probably not popular. Well, you think president of the Gong Show fan club? You thought that was a chick magnet? (laughs) So then, then cut to years later. Somehow we both got hot wives, which to me is amazing. Years later, I've got this damn thing sitting on my shelf as a, as a great story and a bit of shame, never telling anybody what the heck's going on. Then we decide at some point, uh, uh, I've I, I got to make another one because we're going to give this one back to Dave. So I do, as an adult, make a perfect replica of this one without the age and it being all beat up. And some people don't understand that that's, a, that's called an RCA 77 pill mic, and just one that's not even working, just that shell is thousands of dollars oh, if yeah. you could find one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, For sure. That's like sort of the Elvis uh, early style microphone, and everyone wants them, 
And if you can mm-hmm. even find one that has nothing to do with anything, what are they like? Five could be five grand now. C- could be, shape. yeah. They can be, yeah, yeah. And so you figured it out. You found another one. I did, and, and, where did, and I replicated all the stuff perfectly because in my mind, this is the one I was going to keep because we thought, oh, Dave is probably going to want his mic back after all these years. <laughs> That's, this is us five years ago. So I say, oh, I'm going to have, I'm going to make this other one because I'm going to keep it forever. Uh, what happened to it? So we used it on this podcast for a long, long time until one day we just said, well, just let's put the real thing on there. <laughs> and when I saw the other day, every, all the kismet you mentioned before was flowing so strongly through me. When I was talking to you about these items, and I hadn't even seen this photo yet, but you were telling me about them and that you, yes, indeed did have them. I was just, then you shared your gong show story and everything else. I was so taken by everything that I said, here's a guy with the desk and he doesn't have the mic for it. I can't give him the real mic, but he can't leave here tonight without this other mic because we have a mic for the desk. I'm here sitting here with two mics and an actual desk. It doesn't make any sense. He's got the actual desk. He needs a mic for it. So I I made sure, I asked you, would you be okay with taking a pretty significant gift today? Because if it is a high value and certainly more than I was intending to do. No, it was lovely. But it it means more to me that you have it than me have it. Well, it's back on the desk. You know, it's already back on the desk and whether it goes into a museum or wherever it goes, I will make sure that that desk, that the mic... The desk mic goes with the desk, and that's you know that's a that's success story. And I heard it. I don't know if this is true, but I I, I heard that today you're going to gift me with the actual desk and chairs. Is that true? That's right. That's right. I'm going to gift these to you, and then you can sell them okay. to give me your late night assets. Because <laughs> I can't buy them from you. We thought about this. I could probably fundraise and get a lot of money and get those things from you. It doesn't feel right to buy them, yeah, but someday I'm going to do you enough favors that you're going to give them to me. You mean you're going to go in and steal from me? No, no, no. But I'm going to I'm going to find some way to prove our value as people and and whatever to you, you that someday already, I think done. I think th- or you're going to need a big tax donation and you're going to donate them to the foundation. Something somehow it's going to work out because even that, if you that, never that do, suggest, I want to be friends with you forever. Even if you never do, that would suggest that we actually have revenue coming in and we need deductions to offset. That. <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, how about this? Once somebody pays buys your whole uh, collection, if that's the case, then you're going to need a big write off. God willing. God willing. <laughs> I want to help you however I can with whatever you're doing because what you're doing means something to me. And I know that at first you didn't know what the hell to make of that comment. But it, 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 it's important to me that you know that if you ever need anything, that I'm here for you. I know it. And I, I know that that's authentic. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And I know that you get, you, you understand in your DNA the importance of these pieces, not just as pieces of furniture or pieces of clothing. I know that you understand the, 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 the deep importance it has to tens of millions of us. I mean, especially, you know, I curate hundreds of television shows. So can you imagine the individual rabid fan base of you have I Love Lucy to Star Trek to Carson to American Idol Cheers, to friends, it's, all of them. It's mm. a big responsibility. And I know that you get it, and I know that you get it, which to, mm-hmm. I can count on one hand the people that I think really get it. My publicist, Jeff Abraham, of 30 years. Oh, he's a, I'm bummed he's not here today. Yeah, he's always busy. He has the, the Abrams Comedy Archives. He has the biggest collection of comedy on, on vinyl really? anywhere. He's a historian and an archivist and understands all of that. Oh, well, you two must hit it. It's not even just a professional relationship. Oh, you got the God. same. When I say to my wife, 
I'm going to breakfast Sunday. I'm going to breakfast with Jeff today. She's like, okay, I'll see you at dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah. She knows that okay. once we get to going <laughs> and talking about everything. Um, well, I hope he can come back then when you and Greg come in because I, I want to meet him and she wanted to see him again. She said it's been a long time. He was legendary when I started. Like, my colleagues were obsessed with him. He's a great guy, and I always break his balls. He's represented everybody, but in my opinion, no one more important than Carrot Top. Oh! And he has. I, mean, I met with him. We had him. He's a nice, super nice guy, oh, Scott. Okay. He's a super nice guy. But Jeff represented, you know, he and Lori Jonas represented the cast of Seinfeld when they were on the air, and yep. he was Carlin's longtime right. publicist, and Phil Marr, and Richard Lewis, and uh, Dennis Miller. Uh, he's has or had Carl Reiner. He's mm. he's uh, on the board of the National Comedy Center that just got started. Jamestown. So he's he's he and he he's my sounding board. Like when I say Jeff, do we get rid of Captain Kangaroo's puppets? Does anybody know who Mr. Moose is anymore? Uh, what are you kidding me? Well, you know, if you have limited <laughs> means, ah, Mr. Roundtree and all that stuff. If you don't have unlimited mm. money, you have Mr. to make green jeans. Was that green, green jeans? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Green yeah. jeans. If you don't have unlimited money, you have to make tough decisions. It's like, okay, well, do we sell one of the Captain Kangaroo puppets because the American Idol judges' desk and stage is coming available, and we need to, you know, we need to have a firm position in the 21st century of television. This yep. can't just be a, you know, uh, an homage to shows that. Many people have never heard <laughs> of. replaced radio. You have to have The Handmaid's Tale. You have to have, you know, you have to have Breaking Bad. You have to be, you have to be current. So you have to make tough choices, you know. Do what, the ER surgery room is, is, is available. Do we, you know, do we get rid of uh, one of Bobby Brady's suits? Do we sell that Hilarious. to get, you know, it's, it's horse trading. So it's trading. all constantly leveraging one thing for the other. It's you just constantly playing it's the game. It's horse trading, and it's so personal. It's... You know, oh, because you know what you went through to get oh, each thing. Exactly right. Every piece oh. is a story. And how many times did I call them? And did they kick me out of their house? And then after I bought it, no. did they call me back and say they wanted it back? Then everything's priceless at that point. It's every mm. you know people buy. You know, if you're going to buy Bozo the Clown's costume, I'm reasonably sure you're not a clown aficionado. But that show was airing at a time when you know you have your own family memories, but bundled in with it yeah. um and you know that red nose is like a callback to your whole childhood it's, yeah so these pieces have deep importance and they resonate very personally and so when i think about what i got what i had to do how i had to juggle i mean for the first 10 years it was just borrowing 500 dollars here and there off my credit card yep. um borrowing money from friends thank you david kramer hilton highland real estate beverly hills <laughs> I mean, it was just do it any way you could do it, but don't let it go because my fear was if I don't get this Letterman stuff out of the warehouse right now, someone's going to be right behind me. And was there? I didn't have a truck. I just wanted to go look at it. But you're right. If I saw it and it was there, you're right. The next thing would have been, okay, well, how do I figure this out? Yeah, you're right. You're so, right. You're so right. No no collector. That's what you were saying before. You're right. No you're collector. Right. You know that if it's being offered, you get it. You go in and get it because – A yes is a yes. You have to – if somebody has it and they're, they – seem like they may part with it you got to get in there right there and see if you can make it happen because it'll you'll lose it they those pieces when somebody's going to part with something like that it's usually like i'm never going to sell it i won't sell it it's going to be with me forever 
I just dropped an engine. I need 4,500 bucks. I mean, I hate to do it, but if you can come over right now, you know, it's those kinds of things where it's last resort. We have to sell it. And so I think people at least know that if it comes to us, it will live on with the greatest of television and it won't be treated like, you know, like, God forbid, it's not going to be worn or handled. It's going to be treated like a, we work to an AAM museum standard. And so some people have peace that if they can't have it, at least they know that it will be respected by somebody else. Do you have anything from the show House? You remember that show House? Do you wardrobe or anything? I have to tell you this. Now, I don't want anything, but I have some stuff <laughs> that I'd be happy to donate to the collection when it, well, whatever. Go ahead. You Wait, tell me the like, story. What is first. it, like urine samples? Stuff no, like wardrobe. That, I have some band. wardrobe stuff. No, I have a lot of hero wardrobe stuff that when they were putting the archive, some friends who worked on that show, when they were putting the archive, and we enjoyed watching the show, when they were putting the archive together for Universal or whoever. There was a lot of duplicate stuff of, of, of Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie stuff, yeah. So I, I because we happen to be the same size, I have a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Now I've never worn it; it's all still on hangers with now, the tags. I'm going to use my psychic ability. I have to, worn the jacket. I want to guess how you acquired those. Let me see. Pay for it? No, no. none of it. No, but not stolen either. No, no, no. <laughs> but I see your point. <laughs> you went in with a big old backpack and you made it happen. No, no. Luckily, it was friends of ours who were in the wardrobe department, or when they were. It doesn't matter. Uh, above board. I told you. Since this, everything's been above board. <laughs> just started my situation pretty poorly. Um, do you have anything from House, or well, is that a show that I have that... a very few? I have a very few pieces of Hugh Laurie's, but I have to tell you the House story because every show has a story, right? So the show was incredible and very memorable, and it was going off the air. Um, so I called my old time friend Missy Halperin, who was the head of talent. You know Missy. Oh, what a legend. I went, listen to me very carefully. We went to Jewish Sunday school together at (laughs) Temple Emmanuel. (laughs) And you could tell she was 12 years old, and you already knew she was the coolest person you'll ever know. She was always that way. So I called her up, and I said, you know, I hear that they're taking the set down after they film the final scene while the cast is having their rap party on the next stage. That set is coming down, and it's just going to be – it's going to be – cut down and go right to the dump. We need to save his office or we need to save something. And she was a hero and she tried everything she could, but uh, it's, it's really a battle. You know, this, the depends on the studio, right? Well, the studios, they don't care about the stuff, but they care about, are you going to do anything with it? That's going to embarrass me or put, get me into trouble. They don't care about the stuff or I mean, make money with it. They don't want you to make money with it. Probably it's, they're worried about the, the you know, the liability, the, the intellectual rights. They're worried about, I had one studio executive from NBC. I won't tell you his name, but he was going to sell me something very meaningful. It was a set. And he says to me, so how do I know you're not going to shoot a porno on this set? Oh, that's hilarious. It never even occurred to me. It's like, where do you live that you think (laughs) something? What? But they do that. They make porn parodies, and you could do it on the (laughs) That's terrible. That's what he asked me. Are you going to shoot porn on the set? But they don't care about it. They're just worried about – they never want to be the one to say yes because they don't want that liability. Um, They really don't care about the stuff at all as ephemera. Mm. Um, but they want to, I won't use the word, but they want to block you from mm. getting it because they don't want any problems. They'd yeah. rather just, it's easier for them to haul it off to a dump. Then they have get no, rid of it. 
Yeah. No exposure. Well, the show wrapped, and we just. If they ever need to make it again, it's just wood. They've got the plans. Yeah. That's more risk-free than giving it to a private archivist, even if you're, you know, operate at our level. So. Wow. It's been. So difficult. no set from house, and but you, maybe so, some wardrobe might be might be good for your what collection. What do you got? He wore very nice printed T-shirts, but they I were have like, a bunch of printed T-shirts. Those were like hundred dollar piece T-shirts. They're all the then. hero ones that you would know and recognize from the show. And then so he would wear an overshirt with them, and I got those. And Usually blue. There's, I think, a bluish gray. Yeah, there might be a couple of them. And then the motorcycle jacket, and um, and um, I think some canes. I mean, definitely some canes, but uh, there was one that was a replica that we had, but I think the other ones I are I did have a there. cane. There is something to look for on the cane that uh, establishes ones that were taken in by the property master, because some of them were purchased through commercial companies, and there's a certain kind of marking. Oh, no kidding. That, that the prop people put on it or something? put on it that meant it was taken in by prop and it went to set, because until it came into them and it was going to go out on set, they wouldn't market in a certain way but i would say that the, if you're gonna have something from that show it would be the canes especially the walnut one with sort of the derby style that mm-hmm. was probably the most memorable that and the um, one with the flames on it with both the flames of was in a later season not worn as often but very no. memorable and the motorcycle jacket was um commercially purchased and from what i heard at the time was there were two that he was wearing at the time there was two and that he took home one. That's, oh, no kidding. That's what I was told. She told me there were a handful, too. I thought she said four or five. How many did you see on the rack? I, I, didn't, see, I didn't see it. I just got the box afterwards, and it was had all the stuff in it, and it was one of each thing. Interesting. But I know that there were more of one of each, more than one of each thing. So, like, you know, if you're doing a movie like I was involved with Mr. Schwarzenegger, and um, he had a lot of control over what happened to the props and wardrobe from T2. You know, now if you're a big enough star and you have to be a super big star, you can say, at rap, I get to pick whatever I want from the show. Anything that has to do with my likeness, I can take it and throw it away, do whatever I want with it. No kidding. And at the time, he was a partner in Planet Hollywood, which is obviously a Hollywood-themed restaurant. So I can tell you that, you know, he wore like a black motorcycle jacket yep. and there were... Um, I saw that thing at Planet Hollywood New York when I was a kid. So there, were a couple, there was a couple of versions. You know, one was the one he wore in the beginning that was, you know, slightly faded, but it was whole. Then he got shot, and there were a couple bullet hits. Then there was a later version where there was more bullet wow. hits, torn sleeve. So he wore, you know, three different styles of one jacket. They had 43 of them on the set. 43 of them on the set. Oh, my so gosh. 43. So, but, you know, the point I want to make is, like, with Mr. Carson's Karnak turban, one of one. You know, uh, when you were shooting I Dream of Jeannie, they had, you know, one us on set and maybe one backup in the production office. They, one what? Jeannie costume. Yeah. You know, so, but. You have that, don't you? Yes. What's your point? <laughs> <laughs> I want other people to know. It's crazy. So, you know, now it's such, you know, the studios are all owned by big corporations. The one thing they fear the most is that something's going to tear, you're going to get a makeup stain on it, something you're going to spill during lunch, and that the production's going to be slowed down down one minute when you have, you know, 100 union people standing around. Um, So now they have multiples on multiples, and you have to figure out which ones were purchased, which ones came to set, and were production used, who did the hero, which one did the hero wear, what about the stuntman, what about the lighting double? Because production purchase doesn't mean it was screen used. It just means, oh, they bought it for the show. They went to Nordstrom, and they liked this, and they bought 12 of them. 
but which ones were used and how do you know? And, you know, the answer is that even if you buy like a plaid, a nice quality, you know, plaid shirt, um, all the plaid scores will never line up exactly mm -hmm. because every piece of fabric is, you know, it's not exact and they're cut Different differently. Sure. And so there's, there is a way to tell, but. Like the dots on those chairs. If you look at any picture, yeah, like I mean, I, you can, you can match up any shot to like see. see. I would, I would come in here. And I would see that along this seam, there's one that goes right across the seam, and then here's two, and then here's a line, and this one's a little bit out of line, and then you can start to tell the story. If you see it on air and you, you can see it, there will be, you know, here's a little piece of fabric that's snagged. That would be a telltale sign for us. And you go on and look for the imperfections. And so that's what I would do to try to figure out, well, did you Lori wear your shirt? Did it stand and wear the shirt? Oh, and so, you could tell. You could find out. Yeah, for 500 an hour. Well, no, I would give the stuff. To, well, if you wanted it, you could have the stuff. <laughs> I'm saying even if you gave it to me, I'd have to charge you the 500 an hour. No kidding. Because <laughs> you've got to go through the whole. Uh... It's a lot of work. You know, it's not just like a telepathy where people go, oh, is this the cup that Mr. Letterman used? It's not like I'm going to go, yes. Right. You know, what it takes is a lot of work, a lot of research, you know, freeze framing through what could be hundreds of episodes. Sure. It's a lot of. Uh, it's not just uh, like Seinfeld where you match up the bite prints with. with uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Was it John Voight? Yeah. <laughs> with the pencil. So it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, I'm taken with what you do. I salute your life's work. I really like I'm so grateful that you're in this world. I, I mean, I really it. not only is I, I appreciate you as a human being, I think you're a wonderfully warm person, but y your choice of life's work means the world to me. So keep doing it. I appreciate that. I know you Until we it. get you a buyer or whatever you want for your ultimate goal. I think you, you know, need to decide what you want because I think we could actually make it happen for you. Don't well, underestimate. But, you know, we have our own goals and ideas and the universe has its own ideas. So, I mean, I always thought the purpose was to collect and care for and uh, sequester away these pieces and the end game would be a museum where all the fans i mean look how excited we are talking about a few different <laughs> shows i assure you that there's somebody's as passionate as, as we are about the dukes of hazard or matlock or the you know you pick the sh the flip wilson show and those people those fans which i mean i'm the same as they are you're the same as they are it would be like a religious experience um you know, my buddy Warwick Stone, who was the original curator and found all the stuff for the original Hard Rocks, uh, he would call something like an Elvis jumpsuit. He would call that a church piece. And I go, what do you mean church pieces? And he would say, because when someone sees it from across the room, they get very quiet and they walk up very slowly mm -hmm. and they don't talk. And it's it's like a religious it's an experience. shroud. Mm -hmm. And just because in my brain the logical conclusion would be this maybe it's not you know maybe it's supposed to go back to the fans who always loved it the most always valued it the most always kept kept the shows alive the memory of the shows you know they made if the merch wasn't available they made their own merch you know if you go though that's what you did you did you found the gong show fan club i did yeah so you did it I you did. made it <laughs> uh that's an interesting idea and then maybe there's a way to uh well, you have a project in the works that sort of has something to do with that, don't you? Can we talk about that or no? Too soon? Sure. You, I mean, we're way over on time, but I could talk to you forever. we got to wrap it up. But, like, you have a project coming up where maybe you – maybe – I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of stuff that's premature. It's, and, who, 
And Nicole, who knows premature more than your husband? Again, uh, the comedy writer. He just assumes I'm uh, a regular guy. I'm nothing like anybody. Nothing at all. <laughs> that's, that's why we love you. Um, you have your own truth. You're going to come back. No, I'm not. Please. Absolutely. Please. <laughs> Two hours today was, was enough. Um, you ask me, Nicole, I'll come Please back. come back. Look at her. She's like a publicist. She, she leans in and please come back. Okay, I'll do it. She, 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 Jay? The old days when she was a little heavier, it would have been the cleavage and the whole thing, right? Yeah, it was good. She, she used to look, use it to her advantage. A publicist is, I don't know how you would, it's like a desert storm soldier. You've got to get done what you've got to get done, and they're smart and resourceful and tough. And Do you remember that Seinfeld episode where Jerry was dating the girl <laughs> that, uh, for whatever reason, he would just never get in trouble with her? She could kind of just, uh, officer, we weren't speeding and whatever, like the Jedi mind trick. We're not Star Wars people, but she would just, she was definitely one of those. Just whatever she said, just <clears throat> lock eyes over here and just, I don't think that's a problem anymore. And you know what? It just wasn't. But guess what? She still has it over there. Agreed. I'm trying to look at you, which, of course. All good. Yeah. You don't have to look at me. All right. Uh, I love you, pal. Thank love you for back. being here. I uh, can't wait to see you back with Greg Grumberg. How do people oh follow you? Is there? You're not really a public person. You're kind of private. Uh, if the people, you know, my business is all by referral. So if you're not coming to me from somebody I know, it's not going to really happen. But... I try, you know, I'm on Facebook, and I, I try to answer 20 questions a day from people who just randomly write in. And because I'm, you know, I'm I'm just a fan like they are, no different. Um, I do a lot of pro bono work and help auction companies make sure they get it right and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, not public from the standpoint you're going to see me at Comic Con, you know. <laughs> Go meet James Commissar <laughs> of the Commissar Collection. I'm just I'm. It's because you know what? Just then you'll probably agree on your thing. It's not about me. It's not about you. We're the vessel with which these memories live on and these great pioneers are, are still celebrated. It's nothing to do with me. You know, I'm just the guy who rolled them into the warehouse. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be modest. I had a part in it, but it's in the end, it's about the pieces and our shared history. And I know that you have a, your, your view is the same on that. Yeah. I can't wait to see what the next chapter is, and uh, thank you for our gift. Grateful for our new desk piece here. It's very, very cool. All right, <laughs> the fact that it's for Mad Men is awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, We're watching Mad Men again right now. Right now. It's, Not right now. So that's like a show like Don Draper stuff? That's, you know, that's like going to be blue chip 20 years from now? Absolutely. Amazing. You know, Breaking you, Bad, shows like that are like as historic and perfect and amazing as these earlier shows that we talk about. It's modern day Americana, right? It's... We all have our shows. You have your, your growing up shows. I have my growing up shows. Right now, there's somebody, you know, watching Fleabag or watching, right. you know, <laughs> The Judge or watching something. And they're like, that was my show. And so you've, you've got you've to try to save it all. Do we know where this was? You, you knew. Can you tell us where this was? Where would we know this from in Madden? It was Well, it's definitely from this. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I want to make your life as difficult as mine. Have me go find it. You figure it out. You it's know from, I'll do it. It's from the Sterling Cooper Agency. <laughs> it's very expensive leather of the time. You'll see that it's in beautiful condition. You know, Matt Weiner, who I worked with on some stuff, he is like, everything had to be perfect. It wasn't just, we'll get stuff that kind of looks of the period. Oh, no. There were, you, you know, I'm a furniture guy, no reproductions no on that show. Everything was authentic. And he had to... The condition had to be there. You had to show him and prove to them that that would have been in a you know an affluent office, and that they weren't interchangeable. Like the stuff that was in Draper's penthouse, 
have to be, you know, something that would live in a living space versus an ashtray that would be at the, a lot of thinking right. went into it, and he was the mastermind, and that's an example of beautiful condition. I'm sure in the 50s, early 60s, that was probably 150 bucks. you know? It no was, shit. It's a beautiful piece of... of uh, of desk accoutrement, and uh, I'm going to be on eBay tomorrow just to make sure that that's not listed. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about that. Somewhere, my dad, who ironically died of lung cancer, uh, somewhere he was such a fan of all of Mad Men. T- he he, uh, uh, <laughs> making it all about this. We got to wrap it up. But he apprenticed on Madison <laughs> Avenue in the '60s. Wow. I mean, so he was there. He was there doing the thing you know the as a photographer. No, I don't know much of anything. My mom remembers some of the stories. I was just telling somebody that about you. This guy doesn't know much about anything. I just said the same line. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Uh, but I'm grateful for this. It's super, super cool. Um, and I'm grateful to have a gift from you. Thank so. you. I love you. We love you. Let's see. Follow him, however. Uh, tomorrow, GVBC. Longest show ever. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for hanging out on Instagram. And um, tomorrow, GVBC. Next week, we're back with somebody I can't remember. Love you. Love you. We all love you at home. Please love one another. And we'll see you out there.